השם נעשה ונצליח. שיעור תורה. We are now, בעזרת השם, we are up to שיעור נאמר 99 in the מוסר פרקי אבות סיריז, ברוך השם. And we're also in this specific שיעור, part 3 of the same משנה. The same משנה in אבות, 5-9, which we call the wise, the fool and the show-off. This is part three. We had part two last night. The Mishnah in Avot says seven traits that characterize a golem, an uncultivated person, and seven character traits that, char- uh, that has a uh, chacham, a learned person. And uh, we got to, uh, towards the end. Towards the end uh, of the Mishnah, there's still a couple of things. There's a few things we'll talk about in regards to Mashiach Bezrat Hashem. Uh, about the times that we have right now, and also a chidush uh, about punishment, Hashem Rachem, that uh, is so deadly, you don't even know you're being punished. Uh, the deadliest disease is the one that you can't feel. That's why, for example, Hashem Rachem, cancer, many people that die from cancer um, didn't even know they had cancer until the last moment, until, you know, it was too late. Uh, the silent killer, Hashem Echem. So uh, this year, Bezat Hashem, will be for a refuah shlema to Arav Chaim Ben Shulamit, to Baruch Ben Rivka, to Levana Bat Sara, Sara Bat Levana, Ovadia Ben Levana, David Ben Esriya, Doris Bat Jora, Elisheva Chaya Bat Sara, Dvora Bat Mercedes, Yehuda Ben Dvora, Chana Bat Miriam, and Steve Ben Avraham, and all of Am Yisrael Bezat Hashem will have a refuah shlema, refuah ta'nefesh, refuah ta'guf. Um, we uh, heard some terrible news, Hashem Rechem, earlier today that uh, one of the uh, Rabbanim, one of the important Rabbanim in Miami, his wife, Hashem uh, Rechem, she has the machala, she has the disease, she has cancer. Um, I don't know her name, uh, so uh, that's why I, can't, I couldn't mention it. Uh, but uh, one of the Talmidot that comes to the Shiur, Baruch Hashem, and Bezot Hashem should come later today, they had an uh, event. They had an event um, in Miami uh, the last couple of hours for her sake. And uh, our organization, Bezot Hashem, donated some uh, CDs and Asher Yatsar posters and all types of things for all the people that came. And without uh, Hashem, a lot of people were very motivated by it, and hopefully, we uh, get the merit to do a shiur with that group. Hopefully, before the New York trip. If not, then without Hashem, after. Uh, but you see, there's unfortunately no shortage of bad news. It's one of the most difficult things about this job. Schut of getting Am Yisrael to come back to Hashem, uh, you can never really appreciate it enough. Um, and one of the reasons is because 
it's masked by a lot of problems. You know, schut of getting somebody to return from being a prisoner of the Yetzirah. Imagine someone's a prisoner of the Yetzirah for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and Hashem has been looking for him, and you have the schut to show him the direction. Hey, make a right, make a left, read the chumash, you're finished, you're good. And he ends up doing tshuva, so it's, oh Hashem, there's no end to the schut, there's no end to the schal, the merit, the reward. But uh, it's tough. It's tough to uh, always think about that when you're in the fire, when there's constantly a, uh, a wealth of bad news. Not only your own tikkunim, your own uh, tests that you have to deal with because the Satan decides to fight you face-to-face when you do Zikri Rabim. Um, that's part of the deal. But uh, aside from that, you get to hear the news from a lot of people around the world. They watch a shurim or anything like that, and uh, they reach out for refuah they reach out for ilui nishma, they reach out for all these different things. So imagine each person has their own, uh, hopefully, small bank account of kaparat avonot that he has to deal with, different bad news that he has to deal with, whether got sick or lost a loved one, or lost uh, some money, or lost a job, or lost a marriage, or all types of problems we have. So imagine each person can barely deal with their own problems. People commit suicide just because they've had it with their problems. Now when you do Zikriya Rabim, when you actually deal with the public, one of the most difficult things is that you have to not only deal with your own issues, which are now magnified, uh, but also because you now have to deal with everybody else's. And it's not easy. But that's why Hashem gives everything measure for measure, just like He gives you the Kapat Avanot. He also gives you miracles. He also gives you good things, Baruch Hashem. He also gives you strength to deal with it. And uh, it's not, you know, like when you guys see the shurim online or you guys see it here, uh, people that see online, they think that it's an um, easy job or it sounds like fun. At least once or twice a week, somebody tells me they want to be a speaker and they're, they're looking for some guidance. You know, where should I speak? What should I talk about? You know, um, and I always try to encourage people to speak. I think we need a lot of really truthful speakers. But the reality is that most people fail before they start. And the reason why is because they want to do it for the wrong reasons. They want to do it for fame and fortune. They want to do it for uh, you know, notoriety. And if you're doing it for notoriety, you're doing it for fame and fortune, number one, most likely it's not going to be a mitzvah. Number two, most likely it's going to actually be an avera, a sin instead of a reward. And um, you, instead of working for Hashem, you work for the Satan. But a lot of people want, you know, get, get tempted by the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is Ra. Ra, that's what, uh, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu called him, Ra. He has seven names. And the uh, Moshe Rabbeinu called him Ra, called him evil. Because he is the worst of it all. He's the silent killer. First, 
he convinces you that it's your idea to go sin against the Shemit Barach. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 89b, um, says that the angels were talking to Moshe Rabenu. Talking to Moshe Rabenu in Mount Sinai. They say Moshe, yeah, it's 88, 88B. Uh, talking to Moshe Rabenu, well, it's actually also 89. Anyway, continues, long story. Talking to Moshe Rabenu, and uh, say to Hashem, why are you going to give this son of man the Torah? The same Torah that you kept in your treasure chest. For 974 generations before you created the world, you're going to give it to the Son of Man? For what? Who are they that you would even think about them? Which is a verse in Yov, the book of Job. The book of Job says, Who is man that you would even think about him? Such a lowly creation. You, the highest of high, why would you even bother thinking about such a low creation? And the angel is saying, why would you take the Torah that's completely spiritual, that's been in your treasure chest for 974 generations before the world was created. Now it's another 26 generations since from the time of creation until Moshe Rabbeinu, 26 generations. Now the Gemara Masechet Chagigah says that originally Hashem's plan was to bring the Torah after a thousand generations. After a thousand generations. But if we count the generations, we see that from Adam Arishon until Moshe Rabbeinu, 26 generations. We're missing a few. says, yes, the 974 is before creation. Why? Because Hashem said, He looked into the Torah, He looked into the world, He says, the world cannot survive without Torah for a thousand generations. And therefore, I have to take these 974 generations and I have to spread them around all the other generations. Why? Because they're all reshaim. They're all wicked. Without Torah, you can't be righteous. So 974 generations of Erev Rav, Amalek, Haman, Nazi, Germany, is, uh, the, the, the uh, what's called, uh, the, the Islam, uh, what's called, the uh, uh, fanatic Islamists, all those people, 974 generations, Hashem Echem. The lefty liberal uh, Jews, the Neturi Karta, all of them, 974 generations of them. He says, after world like this, I would have to destroy it after a week. So I have to put a little bit of Reshaim in every generation. So the Malachim say to Hashem, why would you even bother giving to men the Torah Bechlal? Why would you even give it to them? Who are they Bechlal? That you would even think about them. Why? Why are they saying such not so polite things? It's not nice. Moshe Rabenu came all the way to Shamayim to get the Torah. This is how you talk to him? Not talking to me or you. Like this. Talking to Moshe Rabenu. They're looking at Moshe Rabenu. He's like, what is he even doing here? What is the son of man doing here? Up here with us. What is he doing here? And they're right. What's he doing here? So what Hashem did? Hashem said, Moshe, answer them. What answer them? 
He says, Hashem, I'm scared they're going to burn me with their lips. Just the breath that comes out of them is fire. Each one of the malachim is the size of a planet. Wait, you think it's a malach the size of us? He looks like us. Each one of the malachim is the size of a planet. Is a bareita, Rabbi Akiva. Says there's a malach in the middle of the cosmos. In the middle of the cosmos. His name is Israel. Israel. And he has it written on his, on his forehead. Israel. And every day, he yells out, Baruchu et Hashem Mevorach. Bless Hashem's name. And all of the angels, bless Hashem's name. This angel, imagine how big, what you think, he's a little guy. You may, you may have seen him a few times. These beautiful pictures they have of the cosmos, of everything that's happening out of, out of space. We don't know anything about outer space. We don't know anything about inner space. We don't know anything about outer space. Some of these giant things, they look like faces, they look like eyes, they look like all different types of things. And one of them is an angel that says, all the angels have to say, Baruch Hashem, Lolam Vaid. This, by the way, is Allah that if you miss prayer for whatever reason, and you pray by yourself, you, have to, you can't say, Baruch Hashem, Lolam Vaid, with the, the Shem Hashem which is the Amunai, you can't say it by yourself. So there's a Bereta that you read, which is what I just told you, that when you pray by yourself, you have to do it. But you have to do it in the morning prayer, and you have to do it in the Arvit prayer, but only on the Arvit prayer, the Alakha is, according to Ravadya, only on the end, not in the beginning, because you say Baruch Hashem twice in Arvit, but this particular Bereta you only say at the end. But also you have to make sure that you do not say Hashem's name, you say Hashem. You don't say Amunai. You don't say Amunai. You say Hashem. So, anyway, the angels, in this amazing Midrash in Agmarai Masechet Shabbat, say, what is he giving this Torah to man? For what? Why? Why are they saying such things? Chazal explains to us something extraordinary. If you take a blind man and you tell him, what do you think of the sky? Don't you think they're beautiful? Sky? I don't know what it looks like. I'm blind. He goes, no, but it's blue. He goes, what's blue? You know, blue. Blue is like beautiful. It's like the ocean. What's the ocean? You know, the ocean is blue. The sky is blue. The reflection, blue, blue, blue. What's blue? Blue, it's like a green, but it's not really a green. It's blue. I don't know what you're talking about. I never saw before. I don't know what you're talking about, what's blue. Okay, you know red? No, I don't know red. You know yellow? No, I don't know yellow either. Why? He's blind, me skin. Sometimes you come to a person and you tell them the truth about Hashem Barach, and they look at you like they're a blind person. They never heard it before. You tell them, you know, Hashem created the world. Who? You know, Moshe Rabbeinu went to Mount Sinai in front of millions of people, got the Torah. Hashem spoke to Am Yisrael in front of millions of people. Who? What? Who's Moshe? You know him? Arav Midi, um, 
one of, one of the Gdolea Rabbanim in the previous generation came to a certain Keila and he started, he saw these Keila is Ame Aratzot, they don't know nothing. But they don't know nothing on a special level. He said, okay, if I start telling them Gemarot, Mishnayot, they don't even know what I'm talking about. So what he decided to do, he started telling them the story about Moshe Rabbeinu. Arav Mibrisk. He started telling them the story about Moshe Rabbeinu. Hey, he's telling them the story of Moshe Rabbeinu, Torah, Sefer Shmot, says a little baby, put him in a basket, Batya picked him up, and then do 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 you fast forward 20 years, he uh, realized that he's, uh, he has to save Am Israel, he kills the Egyptian, fast forward the whole story. Everybody's like, wow, amazing, amazing, what an amazing story, wow, amazing, wow, amazing. Now one of the kids, one of the kids goes to his father, he goes, Abba, Let me ask you something. The guy that he's been talking about, this Moshe, that he's been talking about the whole time, you really think he knows him? You really think he knows him personally? He goes, ah, son, you didn't understand the whole story. He is Moshe. He's telling us his life story. This is a true story, by the way. How sad it is, but how funny. The truth is funnier than fiction. He is Moshe, he says. That's Moshe. He's telling us his life story. So Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu is up in heaven. And the Malachim are saying, why are you going to give him a Torah, Hashem Barach? Why are you going to give him a Torah? Why? Because the Chazal teaches us, our sages, our holy sages, understand the Torah. What are they saying? They're saying the angels... They don't have a concept of what a Yetzirah is. They don't understand why man would not do what Hashem said. The fact that man even has a choice to do something against Hashem, in their eyes, is kfirah in Hashem. You must be destroyed. The fact, not that you did something against Hashem. The fact that you're even thinking it is another option to do something against Hashem, they want to destroy us. And that's why when Moshe, Moshe begged Hashem after the whole Chet Egil Parashat Kitisa, Hashem says, listen, okay, you sin, I forgive you, but now a malach, an angel, is going to lead you guys. But make sure you don't mess up again because they'll kill you. Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, if it's not you, we're not leaving. Why? Because he knew there's no chance with the malachim. They don't have a Yetzirah. They don't understand what it means to sin against Hashem. They're not going to tolerate our sins. Not for a second. There's no, ah, yeah, he didn't know your Yetzirah. Why Yetzirah? Why you have Yetzirah for? Why you have Yetzirah? What's wrong with you? Why you have Yetzirah? I'll tell you a secret. Rav Dessler, in Mikhtab Eliyahu, Mikhtab Eliyahu, says, in the eyes of the angels, the whole concept of human beings is a mistake. Why should there be a creation that has the ability to go against God?
Why should there be something such a thing? In their eyes. And we all like, no, Malachi Sharei, we're going to pray to this angel who's going to come to my house. I'm going to read Zohar. What read Zohar? If you're not holy, if you're not Kodesh Kodeshim, he's going to kill you. That's why I tell people, stay away from things that are bigger than you. Know where you stand. Know where you stand. It's not a joke that there's a, a whole uh, Bet Meshugaim, a crazy house in Yerushalayim for people that played with, uh, with the Zohar and don't know what they're doing and went crazy. These same holy angels that never sin, what they do, they uh, say, oh, you're, you're, you're not holy. Why are you saying my name? Why are you saying my name? You're not holy. Oh, you're sinning against the Shem? Talk. You called me? Okay, I'm here. But sh very dangerous. So Rabotai, sometimes... Sometimes we don't even know that we're in trouble. Sometimes we don't know that we're in trouble. And that's very scary. The Gemara in Masechet has a very scary pasuk in Teilim. That it's uh, giving a nice commentary on. I'll give you some more. I'm sorry, not Tilim, in uh, Proverbs. In Proverbs, Proverbs 2 9. Gemara 17a. Proverbs 30.15, sorry. Okay, so it says in Proverbs 30.15, it says the following, I'll just read it from the Tanakh. It's easier. It says, La'aluka shte banot hav. La'aluka shte banot. Hav hav. Shalosh very deep, high-level Sfata Kodesh. The grave has two daughters. That say, give me, give me. There are three that are never sated. Indeed, four that never say enough. Sheol, which is Gehenom, the sealed womb, the land of unsated and water, with water, and fire which never says enough. This pirush that I'm going to tell you should put to bed all of these people that keep 
saying stupid things about how there's no genom or, or things like that. So the Gemara says the following. Amar Mar Ukva. Mar Ukva says, Shte banot tzoakot mi This is referring to what are these two daughters that the grave has? It says the grave has two daughters. What are these two daughters? Mar Ukva says, Shte banot, it's two daughters. What is it? One of them is Ganedin. The other one is Ganedin. And he says, Gan Eden always says, have, have. Give me more, give me more. What give? Give me more tzaddikim. Give me more tzaddikim, I don't have enough. Genom also says, have, have. Give me more, give me more. Give me more reshaim. We have a lot of space. Genom is ex- ever expanding. So Marukva embellishes it on even more. He says, really, both of these voices are Genom. Because there's more people going to Genom than Ganeden. And in this world, they say, bring me, bring me. Bring me the Minim. And bring me the authorities. Bring me the ones that make people sin. And bring me the ones that are in charge. The minim are people that cause other people to sin. People that... Woman that walks around not modest. A guy that uh, recruits people to go to... uh, to uh, uh, idolatry, church, things like that. But it also says, give me the authorities. What's give me the authorities? Give me the people that are in charge of helping people do tshuva. Give me the rabbis. Why give me the rabbis? Because sometimes, Rabotai, Karim, you're going to have a guy that calls himself a rav, not just a rabbi, a rav. Rav is higher than rabbi. But instead of teaching people that you have to do tshuva, what does he do? He tells people, by the way, if you smoke marijuana, you smoke weed, you smoke grass, if it helps you, it's good for you, it's okay, I used to do it too, I do it too, it's fine. Like this Dror Kasuto Rasha. Yeah, it came out, uh, came out today, yesterday, whenever this Shtuyotri has, every day is a new kapat avanot with this guy. Now he says, a few months ago he says, if your wife doesn't want to go to mikveh, it's okay, you can still be with her. If your wife doesn't want to be with you, go to a prostitute. If your wife doesn't want to keep Shabbat and she wants to go to the beach instead, you take her for the honor of Shlom Bait. If there's Xmas, the, the, the Abu Dazara holiday, why are you scared of Xmas? Why are you scared of, 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 of this? There's a video of this. Now, now, if this, oh, he says, if you are scared of God, you're a fool. Only a fool is scared of God. Now, he added to the collection. He has a collection of, of, of garbage that he, that he feeds people. Now, he says, some people smoke marijuana, smoke pot, 
and it's good for them. And he's not talking about because of medicinal reasons. If it's medicinal reasons, it's a different story. Why even mention Yeshua? It's a medicine. It's the same thing as painkillers. It's the same thing as Advil. It's the same thing as, uh, you know, uh, antidepressants. The same thing as, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, antibiotic. We're not talking about medicinal reasons. He says no, because they feel it. It's good for them. Makes them feel good. Makes them feel like, it's like maybe eventually they'll get out of it and, you know, it gets them, they'll out, you know, you tell them they'll get to a high level on their own without it. But if not, it's okay. Like, he's like, no, I, I, I view it that way. Now, why am I even meant, why? I, a million and a half things happened until now. I never mentioned his name. Why? Why now? This is Mamash against the Chachamim. It's against the Torah. It proves that all of the other mistakes until now were not mistakes. It's intentional what he's doing. I thought when he said all the other shtuyot that he said, said the guy made a mistake, he misspoke. Even though the Mishnah in Avot says, Chachamim, you have to be uh, careful with your words. Whatever, you make a mistake. I'm sure I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. There's no end of the mistakes I've made in my life. And I'm sure some of my shurat Torah, maybe I made a mistake. Who knows? But I thought, Kavzchut, Kavzchut, Kavzchut. How much Kavzchut? But now I see the guys, Mamash, going against Alakha Beshita. Meaning, it's a strategy. Because this is Alakha Meforeshet. We had a whole shiur in New York about how you're not allowed to go to a Bet Knesset drunk the same way as you're not allowed to go to Bet Knesset after you smoke marijuana. If you're using it for medicine, it's not even a conversation. If it's really medicine. Not if you your medicine is because you want to escape the world. But according to Rav Moshe Feinstein, someone that smokes marijuana in Judaism is considered a ben soreru more. Why? Because he's intentionally making himself like a shote, someone that's pasul for mitzvot, doesn't have to do for mitzvot, he's anus for mitzvot. Why? You can't do any mitzvot when you're drunk. Same thing, you can't do mitzvot when you're high. If you're intentionally making yourself high, you're intentionally putting yourself as someone that goes that, that cannot fulfill mitzvot, you are a ben soreru more. And that's why the Chachamim till this day teach the same thing even though it never officially happened. In the halacha is when there's a ben soreru more, a wayward child that goes against his parents, doesn't want to listen to his parents in the old days, where he steals, he drinks, he gets high and all that stuff, they'd kill him even though he was a child. Why? He said if he's already doing it now as a child, he's only gonna do, it's only a matter of time before he does it against God. Now he's against his parents. It's only a matter of time before it's against God. Might as well kill him now. Now, it never actually happened in practice. But the point is, Rabotai, our Torah is holy. Our Torah is not a Torah that you could just, uh, it's not putty. You change it because you don't like it, because you like to smoke pot. Then you tell people, oh yeah, I decided you could smoke pot. Who said? Who are you? Who are you to make a law? Who are you? Are you a posek? You're half a posek? You've been a bechlal arab? What are you? And this Rabotai is, is, is very sad to me because he's very popular, this imbecile. And I have to call him these names simply because at this point I've concluded that everything that I thought inside is true. Everything that Rab Mizrahi 
Shikhye said out loud already months ago is true. This guy is going against Adachab Beshita. And you must refrain from listening to anything he says. This is what we call bathroom Torah. Just like you can listen to a, a reform or conservative or a missionary or a Christian, whatever their teachings are, you can listen to it in the bathroom. You can listen to it in the bathroom. Same thing with this guy. Why? He's constantly teaching people things against Allah. Now I'm going to tell you a secret. I never said this to people, but I can prove it. There's no, no, no problem. I've been after this for a long time already. I've been trying to stay quiet, fix, do... I don't want to have wars with people. I have uh, enough problems in my life. I need to have wars with rabbis, especially somebody that people like. They like the guy. Whatever they like is charisma. They like his... Whatever he says, he sounds like a friendly guy. Long beard and everything. About almost a year ago, the one of the first big things that hit my desk regarding him was when he said that a woman that does not uh, want to go to the mikveh, your, uh, your husband is still allowed to be with her. And he also said that you're allowed to go to a prostitute. And he said, worst of all, by the way, that if you want to sin, if you want to sin, just put on some black clothes and you can sin. And he used commentary from the Gemara, he used the Gemara to, to justify what he said. So, I contacted, he called it, I think it was... Um, sex in Judaism or something like that. It's a whole conversation about this stuff that he was saying. I contacted him. Yeah, it was also about homosexuals. I contacted him privately. And we had a conversation. I tried contacting him on the phone. It didn't work. He was busy. I was busy, whatever. Long story short, we had a conversation via WhatsApp. Baruch Hashem was siyat that happened this way. Because otherwise it wouldn't be recorded. So then we went back and forth. I told him, listen, you said to do 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 do. Here's a proof. And I gave him a line of proofs that everything he said is against the Torah. Not my opinion, Chas Shalom. I showed him, listen, this Gemara that you're mentioning, that somebody could learn, a, uh, can, can go make a sin by just wearing black clothes. Look at the commentary. Look at the commentary he's saying in Masechik Tubot on this specific Gemara. You look at the Abarbanel. You look at Tosfot. You look at Rashi. Look what they say. They're saying, they're not telling you that you can go make sins. They're not telling you to go make sins. What they're telling you is that in those days it was so hard to get black clothes. Not like today where pretty much all of clothes is black. In those days it was so difficult to get clothes that were black because it was very expensive that by the time, if you really want to sin, by the time you got the black clothes, you already didn't want to sin anymore. Not giving you permission to go sin. Why? Because then you could just throw out the whole Torah into the garbage. With such a mentality. Oh, just wear black clothes and you can do whatever you want. I said, you missed it. And I showed him the same proof for other things. And we went back and forth and he agreed with what I said. And he, like, said some other things. And uh, he said something unusual. He said, uh, you know, he didn't mean it. 
No, really, what he's trying to do is something else. Whatever, I judged him to Kafshut, even though he said a few things that were a little unusual. He called himself humble, and he called himself righteous. Like he said, I'm humble, I'm righteous. He actually said this. I'm, a, I'm humble, I'm righteous. I don't know, somebody that's humble and righteous doesn't say, usually say, I'm humble, I'm righteous. But he said this. Whatever. We ended the conversation that way. I went on my life, he went on his life, Shem Achem. he's continued making bigger, bigger problems every month since then, but I've been keeping it quiet for all this time. Maybe a month or two later, comes out Judaism and sex or something like that, number two. What is it? What is it? It's his side of the conversation of what he had with me. Meaning he took the recordings. Let's say there was five recordings on the WhatsApp. He took the five that he made after I proved them wrong and he agreed and that's everything he showed. I, I mean, it's not like, it's not a matter of agreement. It's, it's, it's a fact. I'm not telling you, oh, this is my opinion. Maybe, no, no. This is what Rashi says. Rabbi Banel says, what the Maharaj says, you just understand it. He's agreeing. But now he's took his side of the conversation and somebody put them all together and made it into a lecture. And now 15,000 people listen to this lecture. Looks like it's, it sounds like it's a real lecture. But he removed my side. He removed the part that's actually truth there. But I don't care about Kavod or anybody knowing I was part of it. It doesn't make a difference. But now I see that this is a growing problem. This is, this has gone from being a little bit of an infection, then it became an abscess, then it's not really an abscess, it's now officially a cancer. To go tell Am Israel that you can go sm smoke marijuana and feel like you're doing a good thing, to go tell Am Israel that you shouldn't be a, uh, a, uh, afraid of uh, the, the, uh, the, the missionaries and Christmas and all that stuff, and worst of all, worst of all in my opinion, he says to people a couple of months ago, God spoke to me, and he told me, thank you. God spoke to me, he told me, thank you. He has this on video. It's not like, it's not here. This is, you can, everything I'm saying to you, you can prove. It's all online. It's all available online. He actually publicizes this stuff. God spoke to me, and he told me, thank you, about himself. Now that means you're a prophet. But we don't have prophecy since 2,000 years ago, since Choban Bet HaMikdash, which means you're a false prophet. What's the Allah false prophet? It's a very bad, very bad, very, you look, you look so good right now. So, I'm tired. Rabotai, we work so hard to get people to do tshuva that you see someone, mamash, killing them by the dozens, by the dozens, by giving them a false sense of hope. By telling them, you're okay the way you are, everything is going to be fine, believe in yourself. Kochi ve'otzim yadi. My power, my strength, as long as you believe there's a God, it's fine. It's not, that, that's not what the Torah says. And you start changing the laws, you start going against Chachamim. Enough's enough. Enough is enough. We have to understand that the Torah, it obligates us. The Torah is not a friendly document for people that don't want to do what Hashem says. The Torah says there's a Gan Eden, there's also Genom. And anyone that says otherwise is a Kofir Batorah. Torah says there's reward and there's punishment. 
just like this endless reward this endless punishment anyone that says otherwise kofir batorah that's a reality rabotai like it don't like it is irrelevant now I'm gonna tell you something that probably no one ever told you the Gemaraim Masechet Shabbat says when Am Yisrael left Egypt they got to Mount Sinai we see from the Psukim in the beginning Hashem didn't say anything to them it was a few days what did Moshe Rabbeinu do for that time between the time they arrived until Matan Torah what did he do what did he do you know what he did Rabotai you know what the Gemara says Masechet Shabbat that he did he taught Am Yisrael about the punishment of not following the Torah for days he taught Am Yisrael punishment of not following the Torah before we even got the Torah he told him by the way we're gonna get this Torah so far we got a few mitzvot we got Paraduma, we got Shabbat we got Rosh Chodesh we got a few mitzvot few mitzvot that we got on the way to keep us busy but I'm just letting you guys know there's a lot more coming a lot more and I'm just letting you know even without that a lot more just right now when we have Shabbat just Shabbat or any of the things that we have right now if you don't follow it what a genome you're gonna get what a punishment you're gonna get Hashem is gonna tear you apart into little pieces and make little skittles out of you he didn't tell him, hey, Rabotai, yo, Tzadikim, oh, I love you, how are you, believe in yourself. No, Gemara Meforeshet. This is what the Gemara says. So what am I, or anybody in this generation, or any generation ever can have the, the audacity to go against the Gemara, to go against the Chachamim, to go against the Torah itself? By saying, no, go small, go eat, go drink, go this, go... Who said that? Who said such things so this is honestly it wasn't even supposed to come out but apparently it came out it wasn't planned but I was thinking about Gainom and I was thinking about someone that's going there if he doesn't do Juba so the Gemara over here says this Kevil this Aluka this grave has two daughters scary part Rabotai it says that Rav Chista says in Marukva's name Kol Genom Tzoeket Veomeret Aviu Lishte Banot Tzoakot Veomrot Baolam Azeh Aveh Aveh Oh have have the voice of Genom itself is crying out and saying Bring me the two daughters that are crying out from their other punishments, who in this world say, Bring me, bring me. So, what is this meaning? Yun Yaakov is saying the heretics and the corrupt officials, the leaders, the false rabbis, the, the, all these people are immediately punished in Gainon. There's no like, oh yeah, you didn't mean it. Oh, you didn't mean it what you said about about the, the, the mikveh. You didn't mean it when you said about the, all this. You didn't mean it. it. Says immediately get punished and get home. But here he's saying they receive severe punishments so that Genom must demand its turn. Meaning 
there's a punishment before Gehenom. Gehenom is screaming out, hey, hey, Tafakela, you're killing them. Give me some. Give me some. No, you're already having 15, 20 years already. Enough. You have them already. Give me some. Rabbi Daftaya, Allah Shalom, writes, one time he saw a person at a dibuk in Egypt. And he said the holy names to him, and he says, dibuk is when there's a different spirit takes control of a person. He says, who are you? And why, why what's, what's your story? He says, I'm such and such. And I am suffering in Kafa Kela for 15 years. Okay, what are you suffering for? I'm embarrassed to say, I demand you to say, why are you suffering 15 years? Why are you in Kafa Kela? He says, I only made one sin. I only made one sin. And I'm here for 15 years. And they won't even tell me how much longer I have. What do you mean? You made one sin. That's it? All the, he went to Bedin of Shemaim. It's not like we're saying, no, all, the only thing is I have a problem. Only anger I have a problem. Only stinginess I have a problem. Only, uh, do, do, do. no, he's saying in Shemaim they decreed, I only have one sin. And I'm already in Kafa Kela for 15 years, and they won't tell me how much longer I have. He says, what kind of sin did you make? He says, I went with the Eshet Ish. I went with a married woman. Made a sin. She bribed me. I was, he was short on money. She gave him money. She wanted to be with him. Do, 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 do. He sinned with her. Okay, so fine. It's a bad sin. It's horrible also. But why did, in Shemaim, we know, according to the deen, according to, we know that what happens in Shemaim, in Shemaim, they tell you how long your, uh, your punishment is. It could be 15 minutes. It could be 15 million years. Whatever it is, we know it. In Shemaim, the bed deen says a certain amount of time. So Rabbi Daftaya says, how could it be they didn't tell you how much time you have left. Okay, you did 15 years in Kafakela before Gainom. How come they didn't tell you the time? He says because she's still living. And as long as she's alive, she's still with her husband. And every single time she's with her husband, it's a sin against the Torah. Because he doesn't know she cheated on him. So every time she's with her husband, not just even if even she touches his hand. She's asuailav. She's not allowed to touch his hand even. Forget intimate, obviously. Touch his hand, she's not allowed to touch his hand. Every time she touches his hand, my punishment increases. Meaning, Rabotai Karim, the scariest part of this story is, it's not just a punishment of something that we did. The worst part is sometimes you don't even know you did it. Sometimes the punishment is so severe that it outlasts us. Why? Because... There's, there's outcome. There's, there's things that happen. It stays. The damage stays. You taught somebody something wrong. You taught somebody something wrong. You told them they're allowed to drive on Shabbat if, uh, if their wife doesn't feel like keeping Shabbat for Shlom Bayit. And you died. Okay, that guy lives for 70 years. He drives on Shabbat because of you. You think, okay, at least I'm going to get punished for 70 years because of him. No. His kids also. Why? They're also going to drive on Shabbat. Why? They saw Abba drive on Shabbat. They saw Abba drive on Shabbat. They're going to drive on Shabbat. Why? Because Rabbi so-and-so said it. And until everyone does tshuva, your punishment doesn't end. 
Do you know how scary this is? So people have to understand, you want to speak, just stick to the book. We have such an amazing, beautiful Torah. Why are you adding your own words to it? You're only ruining it. You're ruining yourself. This is not to go back and forth. This is reality. Please, Am Yisrael, do tshuva. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. And on the same exact Proverbs, same Pasuk, Rashi embellishes it and goes even further on telling us what does the rest of the Pasuk say. The rest of the Pasuk says that there are four things that never say enough, that never satiated. He said the first one is the, is the grave. Why? It's never an end to death. People are always dying. The second one is the womb. He says there's always in every generation going to be women that cannot have kids, Hashem Echem. Always, there's always going to be such a thing, Hashem Echem. The third thing is water. Earth water. It says the land that's uh, unsated with water. He says that there's never going to be enough rain. There's always a place in the world there's not enough rain. There may be a lot of rain here in Florida, but in these different parts of uh, America, there isn't rain. There's different parts of the world, there isn't rain. There's always going to be a shortage of rain somewhere. Someone has to get, this is a form of kapata uh, bonota, unfortunately. And last but not least, he says there's never enough fire. What does it mean there's never enough fire? He says, Rashi, Rashi, Rashi. We're not talking about uh, Kabbalah, uh, mystical Rashi of this Pasuk. Rashi says, the fire of Genom is never extinguished. It never goes out. Rashi says it. You're going to go against Rashi? If you don't listen to Rashi, who are you going to listen to? Ghostbusters? Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to, are you going to learn from? If you don't learn from Rashi. Dariza Allah Shalom all the mystical parts of the Torah that we know about today is from him. He gave all the pirushim, all the translations of what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai wrote in the Zohar. He told his students, listen, we need to do commentary on the Gemara. Go do a Kabbalistic, mystical commentary on the Gemara. They said, no problem, fine, no problem. They came back with one Masechet, one tractate. Remember yesterday I told you guys there's 36 Masechets in the Gemara? They came back with commentary on that Masechet. It was a whole library. Commentary, it's deep commentary. You could end, there's no end to the world. He says, no one's going to read this. It's too much. Minimize it. They minimized it. Now it's half a library. He says, it's too much. You have to minimize it. Small, tiny, one book. One book, you know how genius you have to be. To minimize all the wisdom into one book without destroying the knowledge? They minimized and minimized and minimized and minimized and minimized. Eventually they came back with one book and one masechet. Meaning, one masechet has one book. He looked at it. Darizal looked at it. He goes, ah, Baruch Hashem. You, after all the work that you've done, you finally have the same commentary as Ashi. Identical, word for word. You, just all the work you did, you've minimized all this and, and maximized the wisdom in the least amount of words, 
you finally arrived at Rashi. Meaning that when you read Rashi, you think it's just for little kids or just for beginners. You have no idea the level of wisdom that he had. You have no idea. And people go against Rashi all the time. Why? They want their own opinion. They value their own opinion. They value their own opinion like it's worth something. And this is what this Mishnah is all about. This Mishnah is telling us, Rabotai Karim, you want to be a Chacham or you want to be a Golem? You have to decide. A Chacham is someone that's a learned person. A Golem is an uncultivated person, meaning he has a little bit of information. He has a little bit of information. But he doesn't know what to do with it. It's like clay before you make something out of it. So the Mishnah goes as follows. Seven traits characterize a golem. And seven, a learned one. A learned person, a chacham, does not begin speaking before one who is greater than him in wisdom or in years. We already went over this. Someone that wants, that is a chacham, by default, is always learning. That's why someone that's a chacham is called talmid chacham. Talmid is student. Talmid means student. So you want to be a chacham? Make yourself a student. How long? Forever. What are the Chachamim? Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Meir Baranes. What are they all doing in Gan Eden? What are they still doing in Gan Eden? Don't learn Torah. What do you mean? They're still learning? Yes, I'm still a student. If you're a Chacham that you actually got to Gan Eden, that means in Gan Eden you're also going to be learning. Meaning that your idealistic position is to be a Talmid. That's, that's the best. That's the best thing in the world, to be a Talmud. So all of the people don't want to be Talmudim, they just want to tell people what to do, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. So someone that wants to be Talmud already knows, someone that has more wisdom than me, he finished the Gemara more than me, he did this, he did this. He... As soon as he arrives, I'm quiet. Why? I want to listen to what he says. Same thing with someone that's older than us. People that... When an older man comes in, into the room, by default, you have to wait just to see. What do you have to say? Maybe he has something to say. He has wisdom of 60, 70 years. It's a lot of weight. If we're only 30, 40, 50 years old, you know how much seven years of wisdom is? Even if it's uh, basic stuff, he has a lot of wisdom. So, if he's an Amaretz, then unfortunately, the older they get, the Gemara in Masichet Psachim says that an Amaret, someone that's an ignorant, as they get older, they get more foolish. But someone that's learned, as they get older, they get sharper. So someone that's learned also does not interrupt the words of his fellow, meaning they're having a debate. You're saying this, he says this, but each time, even though it's a debate and it's heated, and you're saying she has to go to the Mikveh, and he's saying, nah, it's okay if she doesn't go. The reality is, even though it's a heated debate, Bet Shammai, Bet Hillel, or debating, they're not going to interrupt each other. You have a point? Let me, let me hear your point. Ah, okay, fine. Finished? Okay, now I'm going to say my point. Why? If I'm a chacham, that means, number one, I'm looking for the truth. Number two, I have to hear what you have to say to know it's not true. Or maybe it is true. Maybe I'm wrong. Meaning your ego is removed from the equation. If you still have ego, you're never going to be a chacham. So you're not going to interrupt each other. Third, he does not answer impetuously. 
somebody asks you a question you're not going to just run at them and give them an answer right away why because you have to think about who's asking you this question sometimes sometimes the question comes the same question comes from two different people but the answer is different but this you can only do on an individual basis you cannot teach the masses this way so anyone that's going to come to me is like yeah listen he was talking to a certain type of people that he knew that they're not going to stop smoking marijuana so might as well say it's okay so they don't feel bad about themselves you're not allowed to teach that way why because other people are going to watch the lecture online and they don't know that the people that are watching you are all crackheads they don't know they don't know that you're in a uh, in a rehab center and you're trying to uh, to help them they don't know that it looks like a normal lecture and he wasn't by the way he was just a regular lecture i was giving that as an example the point is about time when you're teaching the masses you have to talk in general terms when you're teaching individual basis you have to know the student so you have two students come to a rav one student says to the Kvodagab, i want to learn and i don't want to go to sleep at 12 o'clock like all the other students i want to learn until two o'clock in the morning the rav says Chazaku baruch, go do it his friend on the same line he comes up he says Kvodagab, same thing as uh, moshe over here I want to also learn till 2 o'clock in the morning. I want to go to sleep at 12 o'clock. He says, no, you have to go to sleep at 12 o'clock. Yeah, but you just told him yes. How come he no? He says, because he, he gets to Minyan every day on time. No problem. I never had to ask him to come to Minyan on time. In fact, he comes early. You barely make it. So now, now, if I tell you to go sleep later, you're definitely not going to make it. Definitely not going to make it. There's, it's, I'm putting you. I'm putting you in a, a guaranteed fail. I can't do that to you. See, two, same question. Two different students. Two different answers. So you can't just answer impetuously. Just answer right away, even if you know the answer, because the answer is not necessarily always so precise. It's not always black and white. Torah is not always black and white. Sometimes it's gray. Depends on the person. But there are certain things that are black and white. There are certain things that are black and white, which is, for example, if, let's say, for example, you have a couple, and one of them, Baruch Hashem, did tshuva. The, uh, the wife does tshuva, or the husband does tshuva. And they start keeping Shabbat, they start keeping kosher, they start keeping the... But the other one doesn't, doesn't want to do tshuva. The husband or the wife doesn't make a difference. Doesn't want to do tshuva. Now, if, if the person doesn't want to keep Shabbat, if it's the husband or the wife, they don't want to keep Shabbat, and the other one that did tshuva says, listen, if you don't keep Shabbat, I'm going to divorce you. Says, go, go to the Rav. Go to the Rav. The wife says, listen, my husband or my wife doesn't want to keep Shabbat. I want to get. Rav says, no get. Why no get? Over time, you got to get him to do tshuva. Over time, you got to get him to do tshuva. Over time, you got to help them do tshuva. On the other hand, on the other hand, if the wife or the husband is not willing to keep tarat mishpacha, family purity, they say, listen, we have to be together all the time. Whenever I want to, we have to be together. The wife, the husband, doesn't make a difference. Shabbat keeps. Everything they keep, but they don't want to keep tarat mishpacha. They go to the rabbi, say, listen, they keep everything. 612 mitzvot they're keeping. They're kohen, they're a woman, they're a man, they do tefillin, everything they're doing. They just don't want to keep tarat mishpacha. The rabbis say, get immediately. Divorce immediately. Why? Without Tarat Mishpachad, there's no Jewish marriage. That's the one deal breaker. That's the one thing, Rabotai, 
which if the person is not willing to allow the other to keep talat mishpacha, it's very, very rare for the rabbis to allow the marriage to continue. Only on exceptional scenarios when the rabbi really, really knows the people, and he knows that they can withstand the test and they're not going to fail. That's a big risk of its own. There's a very famous story uh, of one of the biggest mezakeh rabim in the world uh, that he took, took his uh, wife a while to do tshuva, so for years, for five years, he didn't touch his wife. Rabu Yizor, but this is a very exceptional story. In regarding to halacha, finished. Don't want to do ta'at mishpacha, no marriage. So it's black and white here. Any other one, there isn't. So it depends. Next, Rabotai says he asks relevant questions or replies appropriately. Sometimes you give a shiur and then a person, you give a shiur about Shabbat, a person starts asking you about uh, kashrut. Person starts asking you about uh, are you allowed to wear skinny jeans? Starts asking you about things that are not relevant. What does it mean? Person's not a chacham, he's not even with you. He's a, he has his own shoe in his head. You're having one shoe for everybody, and he has all, his own shoe on his head. He's thinking in a different direction. Someone that's a chacham is looking to take advantage of the information in front of him. He's putting us, yes, of course, he may have interest in other things, he may have questions about other things, but he's not trying to get the world to shape it around his questions. He's first trying to absorb as much information as possible and to see how his questions fit into the world, not how the world fits into his questions. That's someone that's a chacham. Next thing that we said, it was the last thing that we said yesterday, he discusses first things first, last things last, meaning that we learned from Hashem Itbarach and how he talked to Moshe Rabenu that he learns how to prioritize. Somebody asks you multiple questions. Sometimes people ask you, hey, listen, I have three questions for you. And they give you questions. Each one is not relevant to the others. Three different completely questions. One, first one is, what's going to happen when Mashiach, when's Mashiach coming? Second question is, what's going to happen after the Mashiach comes? Third one is, uh, what should I do with the body I found in my house? Okay, even though it's the third question, we have to address it one. Why? Priority is a body in his house. Did he kill it? Did he find it? Is it? Uh, we have to understand what happened here. Even though Mashiach is very important, even though when he's coming, all these things are important. Right now we have a problem at hand. You have to. Chacham knows how to prioritize. Next, someone who hasn't heard says, "I have not heard." This is, by the way, one of the most important things you can learn in the entire Torah. Why? This is for every teacher. This is for every student. This is for every person, Jew or Gentile. If you don't know what you're talking about, don't talk. If you don't know what you're talking about, simply don't talk. Somebody asks you a question, don't make up an answer for them. Why? Their life could be on the line for, for, for your guess. If you don't know an answer, have at least a little bit of respect for the question and the questioner. For you, it seems like it's a simple, mundane question. He's asking you, I don't know, when's the Mashiach coming? Or should I keep Shabbat? Or should I buy my wife flowers? To you, it sounds all like it's all the same thing. Big deal. Yes, no, maybe, sometimes... She's going to give him an answer. If you don't know the actual answer, 
Don't say anything. Say, no shamati. Never heard. I don't know. I don't know. Why? Because for you it may be nothing. For him it may be a life and death decision. He's asking you, should I buy my wife flowers? To you it seems like, of course. What kind of husband are you? You're not going to buy flowers? Of course buy flowers. But maybe the guy Miskin is so broke, he has to decide. He didn't ask you the full question. He has not asked questions. He has $10 to his name. He has to decide. I heard there was a shoe you have to give kavot to your wife like uh, more than yourself. Love her as much as you and uh, kavot more than you. The Rambam says. So, I have to buy her flowers. But then, I say, also says, you have to uh, have Shabbat. You have to handle the Shabbat. You have to have lechem, lechem mishne. You have to have uh, full bread. You can't eat a uh, half-eaten pita from the middle of the week. So he's asking, should I buy her flowers? In reality, he said, listen, I only have $10. I can either buy her flowers or I can buy challah. Which one do I do? You say, yes, yes, yes. Automatically, the guy thinks, oh, but Rav told me, buy her flowers. Then his wife's going to divorce him anyway. Why? She can't eat anything on Shabbat. Miskena, she said, what, am I going to eat the flowers? Was she a bird? Was she, was she a bee? What, what, did she eat flowers? So you have to understand, if you don't know the answer, have some respect for the questioner and the question itself. Say, lo shamati. I didn't hear, never heard, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Or ask more questions. So now Abotai continues and it says the following he acknowledges the truth that's the next part of the Mishnah what does it mean he acknowledges the truth Rashi and Tiferet Israel says a Chacham is not embarrassed to admit a mistake I made a mistake I quoted the wrong Mara I made a mistake I said the wrong Alakha I said Mutar but it's Asul I said allowed and it's not allowed if you're real, Chacham, you're not a Chacham because you've accumulated knowledge. You're Chacham because Hashem gave you knowledge. Why did He give you knowledge? Because you care about the truth. Not about proving your point. Not about proving that you're right. You care about the truth, I'm going to give you knowledge. Which means that if the truth that you thought was true is actually false, you have no problem admitting that it's a mistake. There's one time a few of the students of Rav Yashi found in his Bet Midrash some papers. They put the papers together and see it's a fantastic answer to a certain difficult Allah question. Pay a lot of papers, a lot of writing. Somebody put a ton of work into it, named hundreds of sources. It's a tshuva to a real serious question. Only problem is there's no name. But it happens to be in Rav Yashi's Bet Midrash. So we're gonna ask. Rabbi Yashiv says, Rav. We found this answer, this chuva. We found it. And uh, we want to know, did Kodarav, did Kodarav, did you write this? Because it has no name on it. What did Rabbi Yashiv say? He says, What difference does it make who wrote it? If it's right, publish it. No name doesn't make a difference. If it's wrong, who cares that I wrote it? Meaning, if it's wrong, 
even if I wrote it, it's still insignificant. If something is wrong, even if Rabbi Akiva wrote it, it doesn't make a difference. It's wrong. If it's against the Torah, what difference does it make? It's wrong, it's meaningless, it's shtuyot. If it's right, publish it. Who cares about the credit? Hashem knows. But the point, he shows us, emit. Care about the emit, not about the kavod that comes with the emit. A person that is a racham does not use his intellectual persuasiveness to triumph over his fellow, even though he knows his own position is incorrect. A person that knows how to debate doesn't necessarily always have to know the answer because his ability to debate can destroy the other person that has the right answer. We see this all the time today, whoever actually spends their time doing this, in all these political debates whether it's presidential debates or nominees debates, this debate, that debate, they have these public debates. And the reality is, this is not a debate based on truth. Who actually has the right answer? The debate is who's a better speaker. Because even though sometimes you're going to see the obvious right answer coming from the person who doesn't know how to talk. And the crowd will go with the other one. The crowd will go with the snake. Why? He sounds better. He sounds better. Perfect example was uh, Osama, Obama. Obama Hussein. Obama Hussein, fantastic speaker. Fantastic speaker. That's the only reason why he got it. Before he was a president, he never had a normal job in his life. He never did anything that was worthwhile at all. He wrote a book that specifically goes against America and America's values. I mean, there was no, there's all people have done documentaries about this stuff. The point is, Abutai, there was no reason in the world for him to get, to, to even be a nominee. But he was a great speaker. This is specifically why Hashem Barach made Moshe Rabbeinu a terrible speaker. He had the, uh, the um, both stammer and stutter. He had both. So no one ever says that Amisai listened to what he said because he was a good speaker. Another fantastic speaker, like Amos just reminded me, is Hitler. Hitler, Rabotai, I'm a speaker for almost 20 years. So aside from speaking, I appreciate speakers. Someone's a good speaker, I can appreciate whatever they're speaking on. I may not listen to it these days anymore simply because I don't have time and I don't have the interest in those things anymore. But if someone's a good speaker, especially in Torah or anything really, you can appreciate someone that knows how to present a certain, uh, a certain point that he wants to uh, present. And he makes you see his words. As a speaker for 20 years, I used to teach people how to speak. I heard, Hitler. Now, I don't understand a single word in, in German. To me, it doesn't even sound like, I don't, I don't know what, what, what he's saying. It doesn't sound like, just like I'm sure if I speak Hebrew to some people, they don't know what I'm saying. Or English even, some people don't speak English. But I heard some of his speeches in the past. And I could tell you, personally, I got goosebumps. The guy was given Mamash the power to speak from a Satan himself. 
Unbelievable. It doesn't matter what he was saying. You were, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, well, you, you, yeah, what? Doesn't make a difference. He was so persuasive. His speech was so much, like, power in it. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, but you realize we're about to kill six million people. Oh, you, that's what he said? Oh, I thought he was talking about donuts. That's what he said? Really? That's what he said? It sounded so much better than what it really is. This time, the power of speech. Unfortunately, today, that's what matters more. Today, people worry more about speakers and how they speak instead of what they say. Instead of the words that are coming out of their mouth, they worry about how they say them. And that's why you have certain people that have positions of power both in a religious and non-religious world. That in reality, in, the, in Ulama Emet, and if the world was really right, stones you wouldn't even waste on these people to throw on them. So someone that's a chacham is never going to use his wisdom to convince the other person. Meaning, his wisdom is comprised of multiple things. It's not just he knows the answer, yes, no. Wisdom has many parts, how to present it, how did you get there, how to explain it, and so on and so forth. He's never going to use the wisdom of speech to persuade you of something that he knows very well is wrong. Meaning, he knows it's not allowed to say you are allowed to drive on Shabbat. He knows very well that no Chacham in the history of Am Yisrael has ever said you're allowed to be with your wife if she's Nida. No one ever said it. No one. Not even if somebody threatens to kill you. If someone threatens to kill you, he says, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Or you go and have sex with your wife and she's Nida. You have to die. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I'm going to say it again. Some crazy, fanatic, psychopath comes and says, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to kill you unless you have sex with your own wife. Not some uh, prostitute or some uh, uh, non-Jew or uh, a pig or uh, whatever, golem. Talk about your own wife. Go be intimate with your own wife, but she's nida. She's nida. Die. Die. Why? I like valuable. Die not sin. This is one of the three cardinal sins. You're not allowed to worship an idol. You're not allowed to murder. And you're not allowed to have sex with anybody you're not allowed to have to. Meaning, you, it's better you die than make that sin. So to go tell people, if your wife doesn't want to go to the mikveh, you can still be with her. It's you're telling people to go against Hashem in the highest possible way. Do I need to say more? Now once you knew it was wrong, and I showed you it was wrong, I showed you Allah it's wrong, I sent you the words, I sent you the sources, what do you do? You cut out my words, you put your own words instead, and you convince people you're still right. Ani tov, ani tzaddik, ani anav, ani I'm righteous, I'm this. What's the matter with you? Don't you care a little bit about the Torah? A little bit? A little bit. That's a little bit about Emet. A wise person's guiding principle is emit. Even if its pursuit is at the expense of its ego. This is Rabbeinu Yonah. The Rambam and Rav all say the same exact thing. If you're going to search for the emet, 
you should already know ahead of time your ego will be destroyed on the way why naturally you have a yetzara your yetzara is going to lead you astray he's going to lead you to the shekel he's going to lead you to lies which means that along the way to the truth you're going to have to destroy the shekel what's the shekel your ego because you're going to believe you're right the whole way until you got to the truth so in order to accept the truth you have to break your ego this in for me personally i don't know about you guys for me personally is the most difficult why my ego is the size of this universe there was like the universe and then there was my ego it was battling who takes uh, who takes more space so for me to do tshuva i had to much destroy my ego and every day i'm trying to destroy it a little more hashem helps me Baruch hashem. he helps me embarrasses me all types of hashem, but it's all good why ego ego is poison you want emit you have to destroy your ego you have an ego it's poison atomic bomb it's cancer it's cancer that only you can remove with your own hand in the book of Leviticus Moshe Rabbeinu rebukes the two sons of Aaron Elazar Vitamar because they uh, they burned the he goat on Rosh Chodesh instead of eating it and Aaron Cohen replied to Moshe he said no no Allah actually is that uh, they're supposed to be eaten Now Moshe, it's Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the only one that went to Mount Sinai, all the way to the top, went to the heavens, spoke to God, angels, the whole nine. He could say, Taron, Kutzpan, who are you telling me back? You responding to me? Whatever I say, it must be right. Why? Were you there when I heard it from Hashem? I was there. I know. Eh. What does Moshe do? Moshe does not even attempt to defend his own position because immediately he realizes that Aaron is right and instead he admits that he was wrong without even feeling any sense of embarrassment. He's not embarrassed at all. He says, I simply forgot. You're right. What you said is right. I rebuked your sons for no reason. I'm wrong. Your sons are right. You're right. Everyone that did it is right. I'm the only one that's wrong. I actually just simply forgot. Forgot. Moshe Rabbeinu admitted he's a human being. Anav mikol adam. But it's not just admitting the truth, but not even having any embarrassment when you admitted it. Why? Because the only thing we need to care about is the truth. Why should be? Why should I be embarrassed about admitting the truth? That's a Chacham. Chacham cares about the truth. So, here, you see that these character traits of a Chacham are extraordinary. We'll break them down. First, 
he should always be careful not to speak before another person that's wiser than him. Second, if someone else started talking, don't interrupt. Third, when a person, a person uh, finished, he finished talking to you, don't be in a rush to reply. Concentrate, focus, break it down. Titbonen. Titbonen is like, how do you say titbonen in Hebrew, in English? Think about it, like evaluate it. When you speak, only ask relevant questions and provide pertinent answers. Relevant questions, relevant answers. Don't start talking about something completely different. Fifth, make sure that your responses are in order. Order sometimes of actual sequential order, sometimes in priority order, depending on if there's something that's in, if there is something that takes priority at the end, that takes that's first. But if all of them have equal weight, then you answer in the order that it was asked. Sixth, if you're in doubt, you're not sure about your answer. Or even more so, you're pretty sure about the answer, but you don't really have a source. You don't have a source. So the Gemara Masechet Yoma, the students of Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos come to him and they ask him a question, he doesn't answer. This is the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva. Where they one time, they, uh, he was upset at Rabbi Akiva. He told them, how come you didn't come learn with me? I have so much Torah to teach you. He says, how much Torah do you know? How much Torah? He says, if the entire ocean was ink and all of the trees were pens and all of the land was paper, you wouldn't be able to write down all the Torah that I know. And that Torah that I know is not even a drop of water next to the Torah of my rabbis. Now his students, this one knows an endless amount, an unimaginable amount of Torah. They asked him a question, he doesn't answer. They asked him, Kodarav, how come you're not answering? The Gemara says, he says, I never gave an answer unless I was sure of the source of the answer. Meaning, I know the answer, but I don't remember the source. I don't remember the source, no answer. Why? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this, maybe that. You can't just throw answers because it sounds good. You have to give answers with sources. You have to make sure that you know where did you get it from. Now I remember. From when do you remember? What? From kindergarten? From when do you remember it? You watched it on TV? You what? You saw it on a, on a, on a, on a uh, fortune cookie? Where'd you learn this? Where'd you learn this information? You have to have a source of where you got this information. So, a person needs to know that if he's in doubt, you should have no embarrassment whatsoever to say, I don't know. I never heard this. And the last thing, the seventh thing is that he says, after replying, he should be ready to recant and admit to the truth. Meaning, after somebody asked you a question. You replied an answer, but he said, no, but da, 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 proving what you said wrong. You should have no problem saying, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. No ego, no embarrassment. Why? It's the truth. Simple. Why should I be embarrassed about the truth? I didn't have the truth. You have the truth. Thank you very much for giving me the truth. You, in any, if anything at all, you should be grateful. Why? 
because you've been living a lie for 30 years with this thing that you thought was truth. He actually helped you out and finally gave you the truth. If anything, you should be grateful. And the last part of this Mishnah says, And the reverse of all of these seven traits that the Chacham has, the opposite of them is what the uncultivated Golem has. Meaning, he's never careful about speaking when someone is smarter than him in a room. He wants to make sure everyone knows his thoughts. Yeah, but you have a big Talmit Chacham in the room. Who cares what you think? He's Talmit Chacham. He's a rabbi. He's a Talmit Chacham. No, don't. no, no, I have, I have a Chidush. Why well, you have a Chidush? The rabbi has been learning 50 years. What do you care about your Chidush, Bechlal? What do you care about your Chidush? You know, in the Gemara, there's a story of Shmuel Navi. Shmuel Navi, his mom prayed for him for many, many years. She wasn't able to have children. And she went to the Kohen Gadol. Pray for me. Prayed for her. She had a kid. After many years. One day, the same Kohen Gadol, Gdolado, giant of giants, somebody comes to him with uh, saying, listen, we can't do a Korban. We can't do a Korban because we don't have a Kohen to do the Shechita, to do the slaughtering. We don't have a Kohen to do the slaughtering, so we can't do the Korban right now. What should we do? Kodorav. And he was stumped. He wasn't sure. What should we do? And Shmuel answers. He says, Ah, don't you know that even though to do the korbanot, you need a kohen, the shechita, even an idiot can do it. Meaning a common person can do it. Israel can do it. It doesn't have to be a kohen to do the shechita. The slaughtering, anyone can do the shechita. You don't have to wait for a kohen to do the shechita. So he says to them, You're right, my son. But you said an halacha in front of your Rav. And according to the Torah, I have to kill you now. Now not I'm going to kill you myself, but I have to pray for you to die. Chana's mom was there, overheard this, Hashem Rachem. No, no, please, please, for the Rav. I waited for my whole life for this kid. I love him. It's a D. He said, no, I'll pray for a better kid for you. I'll pray for a better one for you. No, this is the one I prayed for. This is the one I prayed for. Please don't pray for him to die. After all, he's only three years old. After all, he's only three years old. He knows more than all of us put together. The whole world put together in Torah. Okay, fine, fine. Let him go. He's only three years old. We'll judge him like he doesn't know. We'll judge him like he doesn't We'll pretend like he doesn't know. He's only three years old. But Rabotai, he was very ready to put judgment on him. Why? What are you talking in front of a Rav for? Why are you talking in front of a Rav for? What are you talking in front of a Rav? Who are you? I have a Chidush? Who cares about your Chidush? Ask the Rav permission. Ask the Rav permission to talk. That's, that's a Chacham. 
A golem doesn't worry about those things. He wants to give the chidush. He wants to tell people what he saw on YouTube. He doesn't care if somebody is older than him. He has no respect. He doesn't care about interrupting another person. He has no value to their words. When you interrupt another person, by the way, so you know, you talk, he talks, and you interrupt him, by default, you're showing them that you care less about everything that they're saying. You may not be actively implying it, but that's what you're showing with your actions. You're in essence telling them, I care less about what you're saying so much, I don't even want to hear it. I want to hear what I want to say. Your words are so meaningless to me, I don't want to hear them, so let me interrupt. That's what you're saying when you interrupt another person. It's a high level of disrespect. And this is in general, not just about Torah, in general. A golem, on a regular. On a regular, interrupts everybody. On a regular. Why? He doesn't care about anybody says. If it's not my thought, what do I care about it? That's the attitude. It's a very egotistical attitude. Somebody asks him a question, he answers right away, even though he's not 100% sure if it's 100% the right answer. Somebody says, listen, are you allowed to smoke marijuana? Yeah, yeah, you can do it. I used to do it too. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean, yeah? No, people use it for medicinal reasons. So I said, yeah. Yeah, maybe he's not. Maybe he's doing it just because he wants to get high. And you, with the payers and the long beard, you're saying, okay, like, uh, it's a kalva chomer. Everybody should do it. Why not? Let's do... Uh, Let's do it together. Next time we'll do it doing a shiur together. Huh, how do you just... No cover to the, to the Torah at all, nothing. You just don't watch your words, nothing. The golem doesn't ask relevant questions. Doesn't reply appropriately. Always does the opposite. You give him a shiur about this, he asks questions about that. You... Uh, Ask him a question about something, he's talking to you about something else. He's completely in a different, in his own world. Instead of, you ask him questions, you ask him a few questions that you need to know what you need to know. He starts taking you on a road trip. So you have to find his words somewhere in that road trip. Certain people don't know how to communicate. They talk in code. I have, I have some students like this, God bless them. They talk in code. It's like they send, they send you like 17 words, and, yeah, and it's, it's, it's sentences, but I have no idea what they're saying. I have no idea. And sometimes it's even less words, but I have no idea. Well, like what, so then, you know, we, I try to figure it out the best that I can, and then I always say, oh, how come you don't do the da da How come you didn't do this? How come you didn't say this? I said, you never asked me to. He goes, no, I said it here, look. I said, I'm looking, I can't see what you said. I don't understand what you're saying. So now I've made it already a habit where pretty much if I don't understand 100% what you're saying, I ask you what you're saying. The problem is it's still problems. Why? Some people assume that I already know. Why? Because they thought about it. They assume I already know what they thought about. Like I'm a prophet now. A prophet. I'm a, I'm a, you know. So you have to know, number one, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. Uh, and I'm also not going to know what's in your mind. You have to know how to ask questions because I don't know how to decipher. I don't know how to decipher. You have to know because everybody else around you also doesn't know how to decipher your codes. You have to speak clearly. This has become a problem in today's world because of text messaging. 
Most communication today is text messaging. And because we are a generation of lazy bums, lazy people, we're so lazy that we don't want to pick up the phone. But now we've gone to the point where we're so lazy we don't even want to spell out the entire word. So now you have a whole generation of people that speak in acronyms. Like LOL, BRB, uh, I don't know, TMZ, TTT, Poopy I don't know what these things are, whatever. All I know is people, they send you these acronyms, like three-letter words, and you have to like decipher like you're in a, uh, in a CIA. All the guy said is, have a good day. And you have no idea, 25 minutes, you're trying to figure it out. What is he saying? Is it in English? What is he saying? What is he saying? And then a little kid, little six-year-old says, oh, oh, he's just saying, oh, have a good day. I'm like, 25 minutes, have a good day? Why do you say, have a good day? Lazy people. Lazy people. Or if the, if the words are misspelled, we don't bother about uh, checking it. We don't do spell check anymore. I get letters and emails every single day. Mamash, you f- I feel like some people are retarded. Like, really... I'm not talking about like, okay, listen, everybody's going to make spelling errors. But in today's age, Baruch Hashem, you have a computer. You don't have to think about it. Just do spell check. Press the button, spell check. It'll actually check your spelling. Now, this may not seem like it's a problem. Oh, it's a spelling error, big deal. What to spell? Yeah, when you have a thousand emails, you have to know what's happening. What, I have to figure out what the said? After, after, it says in my eyes. But in reality, you meant telephone. You spelled it like eh. But it really it meant telephone, but it's because you spelled the words this way. It telephone's backwards. So to me, I'm reading, oh, so he wanted to call on the ant. Eh. I'm like, oh, Levana, uh, my wife, uh, Levana, uh, what's ant? Eh? She says, what do you mean what's ant? Eh? I said, maybe it's new technology. Somebody says he's making calls to an ant. Eh. She says, I don't know. Maybe we have to check. Go check on uh, YouTube. Maybe somebody's invented ant. Eh. Do you understand? Rabotai, please, you're going to send me an email. It's spell check. Spell check, please. Spell check. The best in the world is that people send me letters. This is per- fantastic for my ego. This is great for destroying my ego. Why? Nine out of ten emails or text messages. People say nice compliments. Baruch Hashem. Love the shurim. I do tshuva. I convert. Do, 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 all the nice, wonderful things. Baruch Hashem. It gives me power to continue. But one, one, one def- wonderful thing. Mamash from Shemaim. Nine out of ten uh, uh, text messages or emails misspell my name. Ruby, Ruben, Yuri, Yuren, Dizzy, Paki, Tuki, Paki... Everything except your own oven. It's that hard to just copy from here and there. And the best thing is, sometimes they're actually replying to my page, which says, your own Reuven. Like, it doesn't say like, eh. it says, your own Reuven. Say, Rabbi Ruby, love your shuri, Ruby. Like, where'd you get it from? Where? Where's the Ruby from? Where's the Ruby? Uh, no, if it's different. Different country, I don't even say it's, uh, I give him a cuff scoot, God bless. Unbelievable, I'm a diamond. Ruby, Yuri, Turi, Puki, Tuki, everything except Yaron Uven. And no one can spell my name. I don't understand. Is it so difficult? But really, we're not careful. That's what we really. We laugh about it, it's just because we're not careful. Why? Because we don't care. We don't care. We just don't care. We just don't care enough about the emet to make sure that we double check it.
we don't care enough about the truth to double check that it's truth. And this Rabotai is very dangerous. Laughing all aside, we laughed a little bit, but it's very dangerous. The Torah teaches us some amazing things. Some things are fantastic stories. Some things are fantastic laws and how they broke it down. But Rabbi Ephraim was teaching me the other day, we're going over this verse in the prophet Jeremiah. And it's really amazing that it actually says this. If you remember I told you guys, there's a verse, that's also the prophet Jeremiah, where Hashem says, Im lo briti yomam valayla, if not for my covenant day and night, the laws of the world, the world of the heaven and the earth will cease to exist. Meaning if someone is not learning Torah somewhere in the world, I'll destroy the world. Simple. So now if you go to Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 11, it says the following. says, The whole verse actually says, Hashem is talking to Jeremiah. Go tell Am Yisrael. It's because your forefathers have forsaken me, the word of Hashem, and they followed the gods of others. They worshipped them and they prostrated themselves before them. But me, they forsook. They've forsaken me. And my Torah, they did not observe. So on the part of the end, the last few words, where it says they're forsaking me and my Torah, they did not observe. Now the Mefarshim, the commentaries, ask a question here. Why does Hashem say they've forsaken me and they did not observe my Torah? Obviously if they've forsaken Hashem, they're not going to learn Torah. Why does Hashem say they've forsaken me and they didn't observe my Torah? It's a given, it's a kalvachomer. It's a needless to say. If they forsook, if the Hashem and Hashem, we went against Hashem, obviously we're going against Torah. What is Hashem trying to tell us here? This Rabotai is a million dollars. There is a Midrash that says this. The Chachamim says, what Hashem is trying to tell us here is exactly this. I wish they leave me, but still keep my Torah. You've all heard this before. I wish they leave me and they keep my Torah. Why I wish? Alvai. Alvai means like I wish. Like it's like Alvai. I wish they leave me and keep my Torah. Why? Because if they keep my Torah, they're going to know their way back home. They're going to know their way back to me. But if they leave my Torah and they think that they're following me, 
they could live a life of 70, 80, 90, 120 years and not even know it. Do you know how many people live a life thinking they're connected, they're glued to Hashem? They're glued. They keep Shabbat, they keep kosher, they read Tehillim, they read this, they read this, but in the eyes of Hashem, they consider Toivat Hashem. Disgusting. Because of certain things that they do. This, Rabotai, is dangerous. Sometimes you're going to have certain people have a mindset that's so full of lies they've begun to believe their own lies. One time there was a guy that was a known criminal. Known criminal in town. He shows up to the Beknesset in the middle of the night and the Rav of the Kila was studying in the corner over there. He doesn't see him. He's studying in the corner and he sees this guy starts praying to Hashem. Hashem, please give me Ruach HaKodesh. Please, Hashem, give me Ruach HaKodesh. Please, Hashem. He's crying his heart out. Mamash crying like tears like an alligator. Tears, tears. Each one you can sell on eBay. Mamash tears. He's crying. Hashem, give me Ruach HaKodesh. Hashem, please, please, I'm begging you. I love you, Hashem. Give me Ruach I'll, I'll do anything. Give me, give me Ruach HaKodesh, Hashem. And the guy, the rabbi, is like, wow, what a prayer. Alvayala, I pray like this. Alvaya can pray like this with such tears like this. He waited for him to finish. After he finished, he says, Oh, how are you here? He says, Well, this is the biggest criminal in town. What is he crying about? So he asked him. He's like, couldn't hold himself. He says, I have to ask you. I was listening to your prayer. Mamash, Chazaku Baruch. Why do you want Rocha Kodesh, though? Like, you're praying for Rocha Kodesh. I mean, the people pray for a lot of things. The Fashlema, do, do. I don't know people pray for. Why are you praying for Rocha Kodesh? Because I need Rocha Kodesh because. The safe that I'm trying to break into, it's very difficult. If he gives me Ruach HaKodesh, I don't have to work so hard. I could just rob the safe without working so hard. The guy is living a lie to such an extent that he thinks that he's doing a mitzvah. He's praying for Hashem to be a partner with him in his own crime against Hashem. The crime against Hashem, he's praying for Hashem to help him with. You have a generation of people like this. Not just now, but all throughout history. As Bezalel Tzadik said earlier, mentions in the Torah, mentioned in this week's parasha, mentions this week's parasha, V'asa Bezalel ve'aliyav, v'chol ish chacham lev, asher natal Adonai chokma utbuna be'ema, l'da'at la'asod et kol melechet avodat ha'kodesh, it says in chapter 36, verse 2, or verse 1, shall carry out with all Yav, and every wise-hearted man within whom Hashem had endowed wisdom and insight to know and to do all the work for the labor of the sanctuary. Labor of the sanctuary in Hebrew is called Avodat Kodesh. An insight, uh, uh, everything that Hashem had commanded. So in essence, Hashem gave them a certain wisdom to do everything that Hashem commanded. Avodat HaKodesh. And says, Betzalel is doing it. 
Betzel is in Shul Torah tonight, right? He's in Shul Torah right now. What's Shul Torah? At 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Avodat HaKodesh! So you're doing what says Torah. Told you in this parasha. So now, now Rabotai, you have plenty of people that think they're doing Avodat HaKodesh, but in reality they're working for the Satan himself. Many people. Sometimes they're not Jewish. Sometimes they're Jewish. Like for example, you have a bunch of Jews in the world that tell you that they're Datiba live. They're religious in their heart. There's a certain woman that reads literally half a book of Tehillim a day. Half a book of Tehillim a day. You check into it and you say, listen, you have to do tshuva. What tshuva? I'm reading half a book of Tehillim. Show me anybody else reading half a book of Tehillim a day. I said, there's other people who read even more than that. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's good that you read half a book of Tehillim. But Hashem didn't command, it's not one of the Ten Commandments to read half a book of Tehillim a day. But Hashem did see, to keep Shabbat. You have to keep Shabbat. Nah, no, that's just you. No, it's Ten Commandments. Hashem also said that you have to be modest. You have to be modest. You almost killed all of Am Yisrael because of lack of modesty. Parashat Balak, Parashat Pinchas. She reads Tehillim half naked. She thinks that Hashem is a boyfriend. And Rabotai, this is not new. This is normal, unfortunately. This is normal. This is normal behavior. And you tell people certain things, and they simply just don't want to listen sometimes. They just simply don't want to listen. Now, for all of those that think that they have the truth better than what the Torah says, there's a verse for them. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 10, verse 9 actually, it says, gam tefilato to'eva. gam tefilato to'eva. One who turns aside his ear from hearing Torah, even his prayer is considered an abomination. Meaning, someone, you tell them, listen, you have to keep Shabbat, you have to keep Tarat Mishpacha, you have to keep the law, there's a law to do. No, no, it's enough, I'm reading a, a full uh, Tehillim every day. I pray all day. You know how much I love Hashem, I talk to Hashem all day. I talk to Hashem, I this to Hashem, I go Yitbodedut, I do this, I do this. Okay, but Yitbodedut is not one of the Alachot. Uh, reading Tehillim is not one of the Alachot. It's good, it's nice, Chazaku Baruch. But that's not Allah, that's not the law. It's the law, and then there's things that you do above the law, that's good. First you have to do the law. Law is you have to be modest. Law is you have to keep Shabbat. Law is you have to be kosher. Law is you have to eat kosher. Be kosher and eat kosher. And so on and so forth, there's the law. Says, no, 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 I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I'm good where I'm at. I'll keep praying to Hashem, I'm okay. Shlomo Melech is saying, you are actively deciding to listen to different Torah. Not to the Torah of Hashem. Just so you know, what Hashem is telling you is, your prayer, your mitzvot, your teilim, your everything that you're doing is considered 100% toivat Hashem, disgusting to Hashem, abomination. You're praying to the wall, you're not praying to Hashem. You're going to do it by yourself with the trees, you're praying to the Hashem trees, you're not praying to Hashem. 
All the things that you're doing, if it's not what it says in the book, if you're actively deciding to not listen to what the book says, it's considered nothing, zero. One big zero. One big zero. Why? You decide to make a new law. Now, a lot of people are say, ah, no, it's a little too much. Some speakers say it nicer. The same exact Proverbs chapter talks about them too. The Proverbs we just talked about was in 28.9. This one, if you fast forward to 28.23, just a few. Mochiach Adam Acharechen one who rebukes a person will let it later find favor more than one with a flattering tongue translation you know the guy that's rebuking you it's giving it to you on your head and is telling you, you have to do tshuva everything you know until now is a lie you have to do tshuva you have to do what Hashem says not what some guy said rebukes you in the end, you're going to like him. In the end, you're going to like the guy that rebukes you. Much more than the guy that tells you you're a tzaddik. Much more than the guy that tells you believe in yourself with the flattering tongue. Who tells you, oh, you're good, you're good, you're good. Don't worry, you're good. They're just crazy. They're just fanatic. They're just Hitler. They're just Taman. They're Amalek. The flattering tongue, you're going to hate him in the end. Why? Because you're going to be in Genom with him. The one that rebukes, that's what Shlomo says. You're going to like the one that rebukes you much more than the one that flatters you. Why? Because the one that's flattering you is going to get you to gain home. He's not getting you anywhere good. The one that's giving you nice messages, you're tzaddik, you're good, you're good, you're good. He's not helping you. He's hurting you. He's hurting you. Now, Ephraim says, in Avot, in Pirkei Avot, we learned it almost a year ago already. There's a Avot, there's a Pirkei Avot that says, Shkigat Talmud Ola Zadon. A mistake that you make by misunderstanding something or just not knowing it, it's called Shogig. Shkaga. So if you made a mistake, you didn't know that you're not allowed to turn on the lights on Shabbat. Simple mistake. Somebody told you you're allowed, you didn't know. If it's only because you really didn't know, you studied it but you misunderstood it or somebody misexplained it to you, that's shogig. But if it's because you did not study and you didn't double check what he said and you didn't double check what you thought, meaning you're lazy, you just by default, you heard it on YouTube, you said, oh, this must be true. You heard it from some guy with a beard and long payers? Ah, this must be true. He says you're allowed to be with your wife when she's nida. It must be true. He says you're allowed to uh, do, do, do. Must be true. He said it. He has a beard. Goat has a beard also, but that's aside from the point. The point is, Abutai, if your mistake came because you're lazy spiritually and you didn't double check, or even worse, you became your own rabbi, Shkagat Talmud, Allah Zadon. Your shogeg, your accidental sin in Shemaim now became intentional. As if you intentionally violated the words of Hashem. Why? Because your laziness was intentional. 
your decision not to study and double check was intentional it's not that you didn't know because you just never got there and you were on the way there but you died before you got there no you were never planning on studying you were playing uh, video games instead you were working instead you are watching the stock market instead you were doing everything else instead of worrying about what Hashem said this abotai is very very dangerous and the reason why is because sometimes people could learn Torah could learn certain things on the side they learn you know in between minchai narvit they learn a little bit in the morning after shachrit people usually say yomit, and they feel good about themselves they feel fine they feel good they feel that ah, listen this is a uh, it's fun I learn halacha it says Tana there's someone that learns halachot every day gets olam haba. They take it literally that you're actually going to get olam haba because you learn two halachot after shachrit. Like they literally think that's all they have to do just to get olam haba. It's just to learn two halachot to get olam haba. And uh, they learn Torah like on the side. Like they're doing God a favor. After shachrit, in between minchai narvit, and this gives them a certain sense of comfort. It's a false sense of comfort. It's a false sense of security that Rabbi Ephraim calls Gan Eden Shalashotim, the Gan Eden of the drunk people. The Gan Eden of the drunk people. It's like their belief is so far from reality. They're so confident they have Gan Eden that they're literally like Shatim. They're just drunk people. Now, why is this the case? In a Gemara, Masichet Gitin, page 56b, it says, What happened in the destruction of Bet Migdash? What happened? Titus came into the Bet Mikdash, brought a prostitute, took a Sefer Torah, and made a sin with her in the Kodesh Kodeshim. In the Kodesh Kodeshim. He took prostitute, made his disgustingness with her in the Kodesh Kodeshim, where Mamash, the Shekhinah would come down every day. On the holiest day of the year. And then after that, he took his sword and he ripped the parochet. And miraculously, blood came out of it. So he thought he killed God. Now obviously, he did this because he believed in God. You don't go and do something that is angering God if you don't believe he exists. As wicked as he was, he went into the Kodesh Kodeshim and not the next room and not the next building and not the next town. Not because there was a bunch of Jews watching. No one was watching. They were all killed. He was doing it, Mamash, to go against the Shem himself, declaring war against the Shem. Which means he believes in them. 
he believes in Hashem and he's going against them. He's ripping the parochet because he knows it's a holy thing. He's having intimacy with a harlot because he knows it's not allowed in the Torah. He's doing it on a sefer Torah because he knows it's a holy thing. He's doing it in the Kodesh Kodesh. It just doesn't get worse. And then when there is the winds and, 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 uh, and uh, tsunamis that are coming out of his boat in the ocean, what does he do? The Gemara says, he starts screaming, Ah, I knew it. You're only powerful in the ocean. That's how you destroyed the, the generation of Noah with water. And that's how you destroyed the Egyptians with water. You only have power in the ocean. Fight me on land. Which means, as silly and as stupid, as retarded as this sounds, he believes in God. Which, by the way, the short version of the end of that story is, Hashem says, no problem. He stops the tsunamis, he stops the, uh, the, the winds, he allows him to go into the land, he says, I'm going to send my smallest creation to you. I'm going to send my smallest creation to you. You don't have to fight me. Just fight my smallest creation. Smallest one that people knew at the time. What does he send them? A little uh, uh, mosquito. A little mosquito goes inside his nose. Do, 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 and stays inside. And it goes inside his brain. And for the next seven years, it ate his brain. For seven years, he heard in his head. Seven years, he had in his head. One day, he passed by the market. And next to the, uh, the people that were hammering things, hammering steel. The, the, the little mosquito, which is not little anymore, got scared, so he stopped. So what did he do this Rasha Titus? He said, ah, bring all of them to my house. They were all Jewish people. Bring them all to my house. Bring them all to the castle. And you want to pay them. Work for me for free. Why? I'm already suffering because of your God as it is. What do you want? You're, you're getting uh, money for it too. Start doing steel in my house. Make noise in my house. So the zoo stops. After a couple of days, the zoo start, started again. Why? He got used to it. The fly got used to it. The mosquito got used to it. But Rabotai, how come? How come? Ask yourself a story. Ask yourself, what's this Gemara? This Gemara is mamash. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling if you don't think about it. Let's, let's break it down. Titus believes in God. So therefore, he goes into the Bet HaMikdash. He doesn't go to Germany. He doesn't go to uh, the Muslims. He doesn't go to the uh, J.C. Penny. He goes to the Jews, the Bet HaMikdash. Why? God's there. To declare war against God. Meaning you believe in God. Not only that, he goes inside the Kodesh Kodeshim. With the Prastu, with the Sefer Torah, with all the Shem and Achem, everything that's happening. Then he talks to the guy, he says, Ah, oh, you don't have any power. Then he sees the punishment that Hashem gave him by sending a little mosquito in his nose that's eating his brain for seven years. And eventually, after seven years... He told him, take this mosquito out of my head. They opened his brain and he died. And the mosquito was the size of a dove. Ate his entire brain. The mosquito was the size of a dove, Hashem Rechem. So now, now, all this time, he knows everything is coming from God. At the, at the water, at the Bet HaMikdash, the mosquito, when he tells the Jews to come uh, smash the steel, he knows everything is coming from God. He's not saying, I don't believe in God, like the stupid Greeks 
or the atheists, all the other idiots in the world. He says, I believe in God. It's the question I have. Why does me do tshuva? Do you know why? Do you know why he doesn't do tshuva? Because since the beginning, his problem has been the same. Since the beginning, he limited God. Since the beginning, he limited God. And once you limit God, you humanize him. Once you humanize him, you cannot do tshuva. Why? It's all about ego. I'm better than you. I'm better than, if it's a human, I'm not doing tshuva to another human. Why would I do tshuva to another human? I'm smarter than him. I'm better than him. I'm, do, 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 I'm who? Who are you? When you limit God, you humanize him. He has limited God since day one. He said he's only in the Bet Mikdash. He's only in the ocean. He's only powerful here. He's only here. He only he limited God constantly. Karim, when you start taking mitzvot and picking and choosing what you want to do, you're limiting God. You're limiting God, and that's why the punishment is severe. I learn about this punishment. It's not scary by the words, but it's scary by the maaseh. In Parashat Vayetchanan, at the end of Parashat Vayetchanan, at the end of Parashat Vayetchanan, Rabotai, in chapter 7, verse 9 of the book of Deuteronomy, one of the scariest things in the entire Torah is written. Hashem says, Umeshalem lesonav el panav leavido. Hashem pays his haters to their face to destroy them. All this time for years, I've learned this verse many times, Baruch Hashem. But only this week did I get this chidush. Rabbi Fahim taught me this chidush. I'm telling you, this is the scariest thing, in my opinion, I've ever heard. Five years, I don't know how many years I'm learning this verse. I've, I've said this verse in lectures, I don't know how many times. Rav Mizrahi has said this in lectures, I don't know how many times. It's a very, very famous verse to scare the living lights out of you. Because it says, he pays his lovers for thousands of generations, and his haters, he gives them cash to their face. Gives them cash to their face to destroy them. So this shows people that Hashem has lovers and haters. You do his mitzvot, he calls you, My lovers, who are they? They, sh- they keep mitzvot. My haters, obviously the opposite, they don't keep mitzvot. So this whole time I'm thinking, what did I say the whole time? The pshat. The pshat of this pasuk is someone that keeps mitzvot, chazaku baruch. Someone that drives his Ferrari on Shabbat and looks like his life is grand. That's someone that Hashem hates and Hashem is paying him for the Ferrari now because he hates him and he's punishing him. So that was the basic pshat. I learned an additional chidush on it. The Rambam in Ilchot Shuvah says there are four people they make such sins that Hashem will not allow them to do tshuva. One of them is someone that's a machti arabim, makes other people sin. Someone that's a missionary, someone that's a false rabbi, someone that does not rebuke his own child, students, surroundings, doesn't rebuke them. Shem will not let them do tshuva. Why? You're killing them. You know the truth, you're not telling them. 
I've always asked, what does he mean? What does he mean he's not going to let them do tshuva? They want to do tshuva, he's not going to let them do tshuva? The guy says, Chatanu avinu pashari, you're not going to let them do tshuva? But it says, this, this contradicts the Torah, because it says, tshuva is always open. Tshuva is always open. So here we have, Rambam says, Alakha, Alakha, this is actual Alakha, Moshe Mimizinai, says certain people, Hashem does not allow them to do tshuva. And Rambam says, this is the worst punishment in this world. Hashem closes the door, you cannot do tshuva. Parashat Vayetchanan says, Hashem pays his haters to their face. Rabbi Ephraim says, this is what it all means. Sometimes you're going to have people that feel perfectly comfortable. Meaning, I don't have to do anymore. I already keep Shabbat. I already keep kosher. I learn Alachat Yomit. I'm fine. I read a half a Tehilim, even though I don't keep Shabbat. I'm fine. I steal only a little bit. I'm fine. I cheat on my husband only once in a while. I'm fine. I'm only cheating on WhatsApp. I'm fine. This I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine mentality. That Rabotay Karim is a Meshalem El Sonav El Panav Leavido. That sense of I'm fine and I don't have to do tshuva, that's a punishment. That is the worst punishment in the entire Torah. I'm fine. I don't have to do tshuva. I'm fine. I don't have to do tshuva. That's the worst punishment. Why? You're not going to do tshuva. Why? You feel fine. Why would you do tshuva if you feel fine? Why would you do tshuva if you feel fine? You feel fine. It's not that Hashem, some fire comes out of the sky in the shape of a lion like the one that used to eat the korban. The korban in the Beit HaMikdash, the fire that came down from Shemaim was the shape of a lion. So it's not like there's a shape of a lion, a fire comes out. Hey, you, Shem hates you. You're done. Nothing, nothing like that happens. It's not like every Michalel Shabbat gets a car accident and Hashem says, I hate him, that's why. I killed him. It's not like every guy that has a fake beard on and really rapes kids on the side, Hashem kills him on the spot. He lets these people live. Why? Mishalem lesonav el panav l'avido. I'm going to let him live so he can make more sins. Why make more sins? Because I hate him. And he's never going to do tshuva. Why? Because he feels fine. He feels fine. And as long as he feels fine, and she feels fine with a mini skirt and a tank top and, and, and no kisui rosh, or with the wig or, or that's the size of the equator, all those things, he feels fine, you're never going to do tshuva. You're going to do tshuva, Allah alecha. You're finished. Worst punishment in the entire Torah. We have a generation of people like this. All of Israel is responsible for each other. Which means, one of the people that suffers such a potential, potential, not guaranteed, potential punishment, don't think just because you feel fine, you're punished right now. It just means that you're clueless. But, but, what's the risk by not doing something about it? We have a generation of people that feel fine. Religious, not religious. Plenty of people feel like they're perfectly fine. Instead of stadiums full of people coming to learn Torah at Emet, you can barely get a minyan. You tell them, listen, 
It's free. Listen, I'll pay you. Listen, I'll come to your house. I'll come to your house, wherever you want. Barely get people. Why? It's Torah Emet. Torah Emet, hard to get buyers. But Rabotai, right now we're under attack. We have two attacks happening. Number one, wall potential, wall potential korbanot for this, for this punishment. And the reason why is because if we don't say something, if we don't do something, if we just let the world continue being as it is, and our friends, our family, and our nation continues to sin against Hashem, the situation is going to continue getting worse. Now, why do I think it's going to get, continue getting worse now, more than any other time in history? Because there's an, a new kitrug. There's a new case against us. Now, I never realized this. I always knew it was bad. I just never realized it was this bad until recently. The Chachamim in the previous generation I've said a lot of amazing things, but one of the most amazing things that I've ever heard is when they asked the Rav Mibrisk, how come the idol worshippers and heretics succeed in their missionary work and we don't? He says because they work the falsehood like it's real and we work the truth like it's fake they serve the false God like he's the real God we serve the real God like he's a false God over two decades ago the Avdil, the Gdolador in the Muslim world decided that to fight with the to fight against the world could be done in two ways Sharia law has no limitations there's the law and that's what it is there's no we're gonna make exceptions there's no exceptions according to their law homosexuals death penalty there's no, oh, we'll let them do tshuva. Someone stole, they cut their hands. Women, they give the women brit milah also. You think it's funny? Try to be that woman. They take a portion of the woman's private area according to their law, to their religious law of sharia. And they give a brit milah. Why? Just to make sure she doesn't feel any pleasure and wants it more. And all types of unusual, sadistic, crazy laws that are against humanity. And you're allowed to lie. And as long as everything is in the name of Allah. Now Allah is the same God of Am Yisrael. Rambam Posek Talacha that Islam is not idol worship like the Christians. It's heresy, but it's not idol worship. Now, 
for them to kill themselves as martyrs and blow themselves up in the middle of the street and kill innocent kids, innocent women, innocent adults that never did anything to them is not only allowed, it's a mitzvah in the world. It's a mitzvah. They believe that whoever kills themselves is a martyr and the more Jews he kills, the more women he's going to have in Gan Eden. It's a mitzvah. But they've seen that there's two ways to cut down a tree. One is with the axe. Blow yourself up. They saw it hasn't worked. ISIS didn't work. Hamas didn't work. Palestinians didn't work. Okay, they're killing people, but small amounts in comparison to the large numbers. They're not changing the world. Okay, so we're making a, a lot of people uncomfortable. But the reality is nothing's changing. Their leader 20 years ago, and still the leader to this day, unfortunately, says there is another way to cut down the tree. With the worm. Let the worm inside the tree. And little by little, the worm will eat the inside of the tree quietly. And by the time anyone figures it out, it's already too late. This is no different than cancer. And they call it Rabotai Karim Dawa. Dawa in the holy biblical language is Kiruv. Dawa is Kiruv. But unlike us, they're succeeding in massive numbers. They're succeeding in such massive numbers that in places around the world, this Tzadik Tzvi Yecheskeli did something no journalist has ever done before. And he went undercover into the Muslim world, around the world, in Turkey, in Syria, in France, in Germany, and also in the United States. And obviously in Israel. And even though he's already been interviewing and investigating all types of terrorists for over 20 years, he said himself, I never knew it was this bad. I knew it was bad. I never knew it was this bad. What's bad? He says he went undercover. As Mamash, he pretended to be a Muslim. He went to the, uh, to the mosques with them. He prayed with them. He talked with them. He chat with them. And so on and so forth. And he interviews them. And you see everything on camera. But they don't know they're being filmed. So they're talking to him like he's a Muslim. And Hashem and what you see. Rabutai, in the Muslim world, this dawah that seems like it's peaceful, in reality, this is just a cover. It's just a cover story for the massive amount of killing that's coming. The massive amount of Sharia law that's coming. The massive war that's coming. And everyone knows it. The people in the know, know it. Us, we don't know anything. Why? We're clueless. We think everything's fine. We think everything is fine. Look, I went to Biknesset today. I went to Biknesset yesterday. I have a friend that's a Muslim. I have this one. Everything is fine. In France right now, there's over 1,300 mosques. Over 1,300 mosques. On Friday, on Friday, people arrive at these mosques. Each one of these mosques can fit over 1,000 people. People arrive to the mosque over an hour before the time. Why? To find a spot. To find a spot, because if they came on time, there's no chance. You have to pray outside. 
There's these mo- 1,300 mosques. 1,300 mosques, you can't fit people. People pray on Saudi. People pray in the middle of the streets. People pray everywhere. This is France. So everybody's like, oh yeah, for France, uh, France is a normal problem. Everybody knows France's problems. That's France. What do I care about France? I'm in America. I'm in uh, Canada. I'm in uh, a lot of other places. That's the news. That's the chidush. It's here too. It's everywhere. And sadly enough, Rabotai, sometimes you tell people, do mitzvah, eat kosher. Eat kosher. What's the big deal? Eat kosher. You want to eat a hot dog? Eat a kosher hot dog. You want to eat a chicken sandwich? Eat a kosher chicken sandwich. You want to eat a burger? Eat a burger. It's not good for you in the Shema. It's not good. But I actually saw through this uh, program that he had that how you can be judged in Shemaim as a murderer, as a 100% a murderer for eating a burger. Murderer for eating a burger. Why? New York and many other parts of the United States have been taken over by these little kiosks, these little huts, these little uh, carts, selling what's called halal food. Halal food is like the kosher of the Muslims. It's like the kosher of the Muslims. They also do shechita. They also do slaughter. They just don't care about the rest of the laws of the shechita. They just slaughter a cow, let it suffer, let it do. It doesn't make a difference. But anyway, they also do shechita. And many times when there's a non-kosher shechita in a kosher house, they sell it to the Muslims. Because... To them, it's still kosher. To them, it's still halal. That's why a lot of times you'll see the kosher house and the halal house are next to each other. Anyway, Rabotai, these halal foods, people think, okay, so what? So a lot of people eat halal food. Jews, non-Jews, people, people don't keep mitzvot. They eat whatever. Christians, everybody eats this food. In New York, it's in every single corner. But now, it's gone to the point where it literally took over the market. So what's the big deal? Who cares? What are you, prejudice? Not prejudice. The reality is, Rabotai, is that these, these carts, these halal stores, the carts, the stores, the kiosks, the whatever, all of these places are the number one, number one key roof station for Islam other than jails, other than prisons, which is the number one place where they recruit the most amount of people. After that, it's the kiosks. Each time you go to one of these kiosks, you'll see on top of it, there's a sign, Allah Akbar. You'll see on top of it, this is Islam. They introduce it to you. Sometimes they give you a sticker. Sometimes they give you a little Quran. They ask one of the people on the interview, they ask the people, he doesn't know he's being interviewed. He thinks it's one of his friends, one another Muslim brother. Oh, what's the matter? So, uh, so first, so, so you're doing recruiting, you're doing dawah, and you're selling food, and you're panasai, it's good, right? He goes, no, no, no. It's dawa first. Food is second. Meaning it's more important for me to recruit the goyim, to recruit the Jews, the non-Jews, the Christians, to recruit them to Islam, to convert the world. Then I sell my food. They serve the lie like it's true. Now why, why do I say that this is murder? Why do I say this is murder? Because... One of the primary ways that the FBI and other uh, enforcement agencies in the United States found is a way that they funnel money to terrorism is from halal food, is from those carts, is from those places. Who controls halal around the world? Muslim Brotherhood. Number one promoter of terrorism around the world. 
So in essence, you go eat a halal burger, a halal chicken, a halal whatever, thinking, ah, okay, whatever, it's not kosher, but it's halal. You made your own law. Halal, kosher, same thing. No, they, they, they slaughter here, they slaughter here. What's the big deal? Just cheaper, no? That one dollar you paid for it could literally be used for a bullet or for a bomb or for a nail or for salt, for a knife that killed a fellow Jew. Now, why do I tell you this? Because the reality is that they're succeeding. They're succeeding in a massive way because to them, Kiruv is the number one mitzvah. To recruit the entire world to become Muslim is the number one mitzvah. And that's why there was a book called 2064, written by an American Muslim, which says that they all go by it. They're predicting that by 2064, the entire world is going to be Muslim. But we're not talking about Muslim friendly. We're just looking at the illusion of friendly, the mask of friendly. Initially, it's friendly until they don't have to be. So, now this shows already that Ishmael is getting power just like the Prophet said he would before Mashiach comes. Esav has been getting power for centuries and just getting stronger and stronger now. But the Chachamim also said, just like the Prophet said, that Ishmael is going to fight Esav before everything blows up. Rabotai, it's happening. Just this past weekend, there was a massive conversion of Muslims in Israel to Christianity. This is one of the most unheard of things there is in existence. Muslims typically do not convert out. Once you're Muslim, there's no way out. Why? If you're out, they'll just simply kill you. I have a young guy that's a nice guy, keeps Shabbat, keeps kosher. He says, I'm not so righteous, but I keep a few basics. He keeps Shabbat, he keeps uh, uh, kosher. It's good. He tells me today, listen, I have this little problem. What? My girlfriend is Muslim. My girlfriend is Muslim. This is a young, young Jewish kid. Keep Shabbat. You can call him religious. Because my girlfriend's Muslim. I asked if she wants to convert, and uh, I don't think she wants to, but what should I do? I said, run. You're playing with fire. They're more likely to kill you than to allow the daughter to convert. Because, no, I don't think the mom's going to care, uh, care so much. Maybe the father's going to care. I said, yes, the father's going to care. And if he doesn't care, all of his friends and family are going to care, and they kill both of you. It'll never be. It's not like Christianity where somebody leaves the derech, if you will, le'avdil, leaves their Christianity, their Catholicism, and they say, okay, we have two billion others, big deal. For them in Islam, they take it very seriously. Why? They serve the lie like it's true. So when you hear a, heart, a story where you have a massive conversion of Christians, of, 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 of Muslims to Christianity, you're seeing exactly what the Prophet said. You're seeing exactly what the Chachamim said. Ishmael is fighting Esav. Esav is fighting Ishmael. The only one that's sleeping is Israel. Why? Ishmael is doing Kiruv. Esav is doing Kiruv. Ishmael is doing Kiruv even in the hot dog stands. 
The hot dog stands, he's doing kiruv. He doesn't care who comes. Jew, non-Jew, doesn't make a difference. He'll take one Jew for every thousand goyim. He doesn't care. He loves the Jews to get them to become Muslims. They highlight it. If one Jew converts to Islam, to them it's like a million the Christians converted. It doesn't make a difference. It's worth more than a Muslim, natural-born Muslim to them. They recruit them like, psh, at the hot dog stands they recruit them. The hot dog stands. The Christian, Esav, he's now pretending to be Israel. He's calling himself Messianic Jew. He's calling himself Messianic Jew. Yeah, yeah, we're Messianic Jews. We just, we just, uh, we just read the New Testament only though. We're Messianic Jews, but we read the only document that's against the Torah called the New Testament. We, we're Messianic Jews, but we read a document that says that God is three instead of one. Save me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esav, Yaakov Avinu says to Hashem. When he's my brother, he's much more dangerous than when he's Esav. Because he's Esav, he's Hitler, he's Haman. I know who he is, he's trying to kill me. When he's my brother, he's pretending to be a Jew. He calls himself Messianic. He calls himself uh, Jews for Jesus. He calls himself all types of names that make him sound Jewish. He's much more dangerous. And Esav is recruiting and succeeding. He's succeeding by the dozens. On a day, every day they recruit Jews. Every day they recruit people to their falsehood. They, why? They serve the falsehood like it's emet. No different than Ishmael. The only one that feels like everything is fine is sleeping at the wheel. That's us. What are we teaching our people? Go smoke marijuana. Go uh, watch Super Bowl. Go uh, be a motivational speaker. Go dress like them, act like them, do like them. And Rabotaya Karim, unless we wake up, we are in worse trouble than we can imagine. Why? Because this verse can be fulfilled on each and every single one of us. He can pay us, cast our face. To destroy us. How? By making us feel like everything's okay while Esav is killing us and Ishmael is killing us at the same time. And we are killing ourselves. Why? We're marrying both of them. We're hanging out with both of them. We're hanging out with both of them. We're having dinner with both of them. Salam Aleikum, Manishma, how are you? We're talking their languages. We're calling our name. Everything, then. No one wants to be a Jew anymore. But everybody feels okay. You tell the guy, no, where tzitzit? Look at the Jew. I, well, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. No, keep Shabbat. Keep Shabbat. No, keep Shabbat. Yeah, no, I keep. Like half a Shabbat when I'm sleeping. No, do Kiruv. You're already keeping Shabbat. You're already wearing tzitzit. You already call yourself religious. Why don't you give a CD to your friend? No, I don't have any money. Also, navigation system, you have money for it. The, the, the new car, you have money for it. The $20,000 much, you, you have money for it. The uh, dinner, three times a week for 100 bucks, you have money for it. But a dollar for a CD, you don't have any money. Okay, you know what? I'll make it easy for you. Here's it for free. Here's for free. Just give it to him. I don't know if he's going to like it. Every excuse in the book, we come up with. Why? We feel everything's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's okay, everything's okay. In reality, it's a disaster. We are in the worst disaster in history right now.
officially. Worst disaster. Why? Because we don't know that we're sick. At least in Bet Migdash, we knew we were sick. Just begetzara. In Egypt, we knew we were sick. Even in the generation of Noah, we knew we were sick. Begetzara, big this, big this. Today, we don't even think we're sick. We think we're perfectly fine. Religious, not religious, Israeli, American, so on and so forth. Rabotai, if you're not dedicating a big part of your life to learning and publicizing Torah, you're risking not only Am Yisrael's Olam Abba, you're risking your own Olam Abba. You're risking your own Olam Abba. If you're not worried every day, all the time, you may be suffering and you don't even know it. You may actually have a spiritual cancer inside you and you don't even know it's cancer. You think it's like a vitamin. You think everything's okay? You're not worried? You have a problem. Why? Shlomo Melech says, Ashrei Adam tamid. Praiseworthy is the man that's always scared. Why is he praiseworthy? Because now he can do tshuva. If he, he's praiseworthy because he's scared. Why? It's not nice to be scared. No, it's perfect to be scared. Why? Because at least you're seeing reality. You're scared of the reality. The reality is scarier than anything else. You have two billion on this side and two billion on this side that want to kill you. But they don't want to kill you with swords. Initially, they want to kill you with words. And that's the worst killer. That's worse than the Holocaust. That's worse than Betamigdash. Why? That kills souls. So unless you're doing Kiruv, unless you're investing into Kiruv, unless you are literally worried all the time for Am Yisrael and for your own neshama to do tshuva on a daily basis, daily, not once in a while, not once a month, not once a week even, daily basis, Kiruv and learning Torah are not part of your life, you won't survive. I'm not telling you this to curse you, chash v'shalom, but I'm telling you a reality. If you're not worried, you don't have a chance because what I saw, what I researched, and everything that's actually reality right now is much scarier than what I've been telling you. Everything I'm telling you, it's not even it's not even half of how scary the situation really is. So, Esav, Ishmael, they're already on board. They're already fighting full force. We're just not paying attention. We think that the Iron Dome is going to protect us. We think that Donald Trump's going to protect us. We think that our money and our Bitcoin is going to protect us. Everything but God. It's time to wake up. Bezad Hashem, this will wake us up to get away from falsehood and false speakers. There's plenty of both of it. There's a surplus of both of it. And start getting worried. Worried for the right reasons. And Bezad Hashem, do tshuva. Go ahead. Questions? Okay. Okay, and the reality is is that the government can do whatever they want. The illusion of government is to make you believe that you actually have rights. But we've seen it time and time again throughout all of history that when government wanted to do something, nothing got in their way. So if they wanted to do something there was no one particular person or one particular religion or one particular group that can stop them. So, for example, 
Now, you would think that the most difficult thing in the world to take away from people is guns. Why? Because the Second Amendment says that, you know, in the U.S. Constitution, that uh, you shouldn't be able to take people's guns. They shouldn't be able to have the right to bear arms. And as groups that fight for it, and I even actually have a, a student that's a, uh, that, uh, that's a lawyer for protecting the gun rights and so on. Um, but the reality is that there's something much more difficult to take from people than their guns. And that's their money. Now, if you ask somebody, I'll either take your gun, your little pistol, Uzi, or, uh, I don't know, shotgun, assault rifle, whatever, your whole collection, or I'm going to take all the money you have in a bank. You worked 50 years, you saved yourself half a million dollars for retirement, I'm either going to take your money, the 20 guns that you have, or you can keep the guns, but your bank account goes from saying 500000 to zero. I'm just going to remove a few numbers from it. Which one do you want? Which one? I'm not going to even send you to jail. Or either take all your money or take your guns. Which one? The guy will happily give the gun. Happily give the gun. Why? He wants his money. Rabotai, plenty of times we've seen throughout all of history, governments depleting their people of money. The thing that's harder to take than anything else is money, and plenty of times we've seen people, not only governments taking the money away from people, but actually people being forced to give the money themselves. For example, during some of the times where they wanted to abolish the gold standard, the U.S. dollar used to be backed by gold. The U.S. government decided that there's not enough uh, gold in the world to cover the amount of dollars they want to print. So they said, listen, we want to abolish this, meaning discontinue it, but we have to take away all the gold that you have. Remove the gold from the market. So everybody that has gold, bring us the gold that was backing the dollars that you had. That, uh, all. So everyone was forced to take their gold and give it to people. So what if you want to keep it? Not allowed. Why? You go to jail. But it's my money. It's my gold. You can't take it. No, no. It's not yours anymore. Why? You live here. It's our rules. Yeah, but uh, the rule was different last week. Okay, it changed. Yeah, but it was, it was different. Uh, it's going to be different next week. Okay, change. So what? What are you going to do? Fight me? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? With your pistol. I have an army. What are you going to do? It's like people want to fight the IRS. No, there's a certain law. You don't have to pay taxes. Okay, go fight them. Okay, go fight them then. Go fight them when they send you to jail for an unlimited amount of time in, 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 a, in a concentration camp. And no one knows you even went to jail. Everyone thinks you died. Or you went to Alaska or something. No one knows. They put you in a cell and no one knows where you are. No one knows that you're even there. There's no writing, there's no books, there's no nothing. You're gone. You're off the map. What are you going to do? What do you think these people are, 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 are playing with, with, with little kids? You have to know where you stand. You have to know where you stand. You don't play with fire. You came to this world to be a Jew. Not to be a political representative, not to fight the powers, not to uh, all this nonsense that people waste their lives. No one cares about your political uh, uh, beliefs and you're not getting a mitzvah for it either. Your mitzvah is save your nation. Save your nation. Your nation is not going to be saved by guns. Your nation is not going to be saved by spears. Your nation is not going to be saved by money. It's going to be saved by the Torah. Only by the Torah. That's it. You start worrying about Hashem and His Torah 
and actually serve the emet like it's emet, serve the truth like it's truth, meaning with your full power, and stop being cheap, stop being lazy, stop being half, stop being 20%, just go all in already, be a Jew and proud of it, and do what Hashem says for heaven's sake, you have nothing to worry about. But as long as you're playing 50-50, you always have a chance to be one of those people that Torah says, in Parashat Vayetchanan, Meshalem el sonav el panav l'avido. Hashem says, okay, I waited for you for 20 years already, but that's not the only first 20 years. That's not only the first 30 years. That's not only the first 50 years. This is already your 10th time in this world. I've been waiting for you for 3,000 years plus 30. I'm tired of waiting for you. Finished. You're not going to do tshuva. Why? You treated my emet like it's shekel. You treated my truth like it's a lie. Even the Muslim terrorist treated what he thought was real, which is shekel, as a myth. Even the 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 Esav, the Imachimov even he treated his uh, his a uh, his shekel like it's a myth. You can't treat the emet like it's a myth. Find me one Muslim that's really religious that's not willing to die for his religion. One. Find me one that's not willing to die. Find me one that's a real Muslim that's embarrassed of being a Muslim. Find me one that's not willing to pray in the middle of the street in moving traffic. Moving traffic, not just traffic, moving traffic. Every single one of them willing to die. Every single one of them is going to do kiruv. Every single one of them is willing to pray in the middle of the street. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Every single real Christian. Somebody that believes in the studio that they teach, every single one of them is willing to give every single penny he has in the bank. Every penny in the bank for the sake of his belief. Every penny, no questions asked. His house, his car, his will, is everything. No questions asked. No 10%, no nothing. Everything. Everything. No questions asked. Why? He believes it. But the Jew has a retirement plan. The Jew is embarrassed to pray at the airport. The Jew, now nah, he's worried too much about offending people. He's not going to give him a CD. This Rabotai is a kitrug. This is a case against us. This is a case against us. Time for us to wake up. Face reality. Enough with the case against us. At the very least, we should do what they're doing. At the very least. We should do more, because we have the truth. But at the very least, every kosher hot dog stand should give a CD out. Every kosher restaurant should give people a Birkat Amazon and a, and a Torah CD. Every single jewelry store, sell the diamond, sell the CD too. Give the CD for free. Every single Jew with a kippah should bring a Jew without a kippah. Every one of you should make at least 10 people do tshuva this year. This year, not in your lifetime. This year, every single person he has to get 10 people to do tshuva shlema. Not like he's just keeping Shabbat, but he's still a thief, a liar, and a noif. Every single one here should make 10 people do tshuva this year, this year. Every single person. Every single person should bring 10 people to the show every week. Should have houses full of people. Why? It's the only way we have a chance. It's the only way we have a chance. Or else, Hashem is going to let the, play, the cards play. Esav is going to be Esav. Ishmael is going to be Ishmael. They're going to do their kiruv, and eventually they're going to come to us. And that's why one of the horrible prophecies that the prophets say at the end of days will happen, Hashem hopefully it doesn't happen, but one of the possibilities is that Ishmael will take over Israel for nine months. 
we can't live next to them as neighbors. As neighbors, we can't tolerate them. Imagine being under Sharia law. Imagine being under Sharia law for nine months. Gainom, I think, is better. This is why Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos said in the Gemara, one Mashiach to come. I just don't want to see it. Why? That's one of the possibilities is that I'll be under Sharia law. I can't tolerate it. I can't tolerate it. Not for nine months, not for nine minutes. But unless we wake up, Rabotai, all of these words were in vain. Please don't let them go to vain. Any questions? This will touch some hearts. This will motivate some hearts to wake up, see reality for what it really is. And Bezat Hashem, get Am Yisrael to wake up as well. Because tshuva is not just for us. It's for our nation. It's for our people. It's for everyone that wants the truth. It doesn't matter where they came from. It's all that matters is where they're going. So Bezat Hashem, just like we're trying to do tshuva, we'll help others see the truth, run away from lies. Stop doing bad, run away from the bad, and do good. That's what David Amir told us. You want to do tshuva? Stop doing bad, do good. Stop making sins, do kiruv. Amen ve'amen.